Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 422. Oh, yeah, 422. Darn it. I think I mixed, messed up the, uh, the the title. I'm going to have to go back and edit that. We're getting there, folks. We're getting there. I updated the name because we were in a hurry at the last minute here, uh-huh. um, and I forgot to update the number. Well, either way, it's, I believe, 422. It is. It is. 100% correct. Tonight, very special guest who will be joining us in just a few moments, Stephen Dodge, our... I, I don't even know if he's listed as the tournament director, but he he's the overall event coordinator, we'll say, of the MVP Open at Maple Hill. I think he's passed off most of the real work to other more qualified people. But either way, uh, he he's in charge, and he gets all the glory, and rightfully so. He was a dapper man this weekend. Every time I saw him, he was in a nice little suit jacket. That, that's little new, the, being the key word. Yeah, that's his new <laughs> shtick. That's all that's really? all part of a new I, overall look and feel. When he picked me up back in May, oh, uh, I, I believe not only I, was he wearing a suit coat, but he was also wearing shorts and unmatched socks with it. So he's he's got this brand new look down. He's got a a wife that likes to uh make sure that he's dressed and feels good and from the waist good. up at least yes. <laughs> i mean that's his good side well, so <laughs> so it, uh, we can thank the whole world can thank jesse and uh i mean she's a a professional career hairdresser and has uh added so much more flair and style and uh dapperness I was really hoping that he would just break out his old Star Trek uniform. I know I had I brought but, that up earlier today that uh, that's what we've seen from him. So anyway, I, I've got a picture somewhere of me and him. <laughs> I looked and, at my phone; I couldn't find it. I know I have <laughs> it. Um, so we're going to talk to Steve uh, in just a few moments, and then we'll recap everything else that's been going on outside of the MVP Open at Maple Hill. Of course, we have the Disc Golf Pro Tour in its regular season, so to speak. And postseason, I don't know how we're using these phrases since we had the playoffs and now we just have the championship left. And then, of course, the USDGC is around the corner and we can uh, dive into some of the things that were announced with regards to that today, too. So I guess there's there's no reason to wait any longer. It's late on the East Coast. So joining us now, Steve Dodge. 
Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Steve. guys. How are you? <laughs> great. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful evening. It is. It is. And let, let's start off. One of the things that was just posted last evening was uh, the addition to that wall. So the you're a disc golfer. You've got discs on the wall. Tell us what's made the oh. wall, because you're not always that much of a collector slash hoarder slash like super sentimental guy when it comes to Frisbees. So tell us about the wall behind you. Let's start there. <laughs> so uh, it's fun you say that. This wall has been up for almost a week now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, actually maybe more than a week because the tournament, I guess. But uh, yeah, so um, this Christmas, uh, my brother got me all of the uh, the Maple Hill events signed by the champions. So in the top left back here, is the uh, 2004 MSDGC. I think my big head's in the way. And then it goes all the way over to, yeah, the first 19 discs now are uh, are signed by the champions and the one one white white one in the middle. I'll, I'll go ahead and move this up. Is this a podcast or is this a, like a video thing? It's a little How bit of both. So for our audio viewers, that. Steve is currently showing us the wall. So explain what we're looking at here, Steve. All right, so up here on the top left is the 2004 MSDGC sound, signed by Ron Russell and Des Redding at 05, 06, 07, all the way down. And then uh, last night, two nights ago, uh, Simon Lazat put this little bad boy up on, the, up on the wall, the 2022 MVP Open signed by Natalie and Simon. So, and then all, all the other ones are just special discs to me. Like this is one that uh, my daughters drew on and made – Made a, a Vibram lace into a looks like some sort of a what do you snow skier. So anyway, there's all sorts of good stuff up there. Um, yeah, and some collectors and and very much your time with Vibram certainly represented on there. I think I finally, as a host of the show, have nailed down the MVP Open at Maple Hill, and with that, I assume you're just going to change the name next year. Because every single time I finally... It's about every like, three-year cycle. Yeah, every time I break a habit, yeah. you go ahead or, or get it and you fix the habit or whatever, you seem to change it. Now, I know you have this incredible relationship with MVP, but are you going to change the name on us? I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I got a 10-year, $2 million deal, and I don't, I don't see why we wouldn't just throw that away. Yeah, I mean... Keep yeah. it spicy, one way or another. So, I'm sure. I'm sure you so come up with something. One really exciting thing that happened this year: MVP came on board big time for us, which which was really really exciting. Uh, and it allowed us. We invested uh, close to a hundred thousand dollars in infrastructure on the course this year. And uh, I actually just gave out the. I just put out the spectator. Uh, How do we do survey and. And so many people said, love the new bleachers, love the new spectator pads, loved, well, nobody said they loved the new parking because we still don't have enough of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but people were appreciative that there was more parking. We parked about 500 cars on site. And a few years ago, we were parking almost 300. So we're getting better and better on that end. And uh, the, the one thing, as soon as you show somebody, hey, we got some bleachers up here, they're just like, hey, we need those bleachers on 11 and two and <laughs> and it's just like okay so so we're not done yet 
Um, and but with the great partnership with MVP, we're able to invest uh, a, a lot of resources into making the course uh, much more spectator friendly. So let's start there, because fair or not, uh, immediately some people saw the bleachers and then uh, they were super concerned. It's it's amazing how once you get to the Internet, every everybody knows everything. I guess we've learned that. I'm not new here. Uh, but there was a lot of questioning and people worked up about the bleachers and how they were mounted. Did you see any of this blowback uh, and or con- concern? Of course. Maybe? I, I appreciate all the uh, all the concern and the uh, um, uh, I guess our armchair contracting yes. and uh, it it worked out it worked out really well uh, we were able to look at it and shore a couple of things up that uh, maybe should have been shorn up a little better I don't have any idea about uh, how, how you make something structurally solid um, but Just- the guy that Couple nails. <laughs> just just throw two hundred people on it and see what happens. Well, that's it's not going that's anywhere. one way, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, well, um, but the guy that uh, the the guy here that built the bleachers uh, and and put the supports on it does know what he's doing. Um, I'm confident that it it would have worked fine. Uh, he put some window dressing on it, put a little extra some some extra ends to make it. Uh, Maybe more solid, but uh, the guy on site who was expressing concern worked with him, and they made it clearly safe enough. <laughs> okay, that's that's how we all want to be—just safe enough. Uh, safe well, enough. good, and I'm glad. And 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 I—it's obviously it's just a testament. Some people are being genuinely helpful, and some people are just being jerks to be jerks. So hopefully, you can somewhere in the middle you find that hey, there was some concern, and and I knew it was all taken care of. But again, we're we're on the internet, so uh, good to hear uh, that that was. I, just to say, I, I genuinely appreciate people questioning what I do because uh, <laughs> I make as as you know. As Miles knows, as anybody who's worked with me more than once knows, um, I, I make plenty of mistakes. So uh, question everything I do, and uh, and if I seem to be doing something right, give me an idea, and I'll I'll run with that one, and someone else should question it. <laughs> um, so let, let's back up because I think when you were here last, we were actually t- <clears throat> largely talking about the million dollar shot and the opportunity, and then even after that conversation, I believe you had some additional concerns or clarifications that had to be made uh, so that this could come to fruition, especially if somebody hit it and then it would get paid off and everything else. So the world, you know, fair or not, uh, called the headline or not, the world definitely was excited about this shot or the opportunities this weekend. Kind of quickly recap, what went into even making that happen, just so the world knows? Like, how does that come about? Uh so uh, somewhere in mid-January, I, uh, I called my friend Mike Calzone over at Foy Insurance. Uh, and he's the same guy that uh, insured the, the Pro Tour trailers and trucks and made sure that back in the day when the Pro Tour started, uh, if, if things went, went, went side, more sideways than they did, uh, then everything would have uh, would have been fine. Uh, as far as like we, if the truck broke or something. But uh, and so I called him up. He, he's and actually he does my car insurance and my house insurance now. Save me a bundle. So, uh, boy, insurance, give him a call. But 
I called Mike and I said, Mike, I want to try a million dollar shot ace contest and see what this looks like. And, um, and he did some investigation and, uh, it finally all got resolved. I think probably about a month prior to the actual shot. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. We used U disc a lot to, uh, find uh, quote, similar holes to see how often people would get in circle one or circle two uh, or parked. Um, none of those holes were obviously birdied. They're, you know, a 600-foot par four is not going to be, uh, sorry, aced, uh, not going to be aced very often, and it wasn't. Um, so used a lot of stats, used the uh, the video from last year's long drive contest, uh, fed, fed them and their actuaries a lot of data, and then uh, – and then they came back with with some numbers, and uh, it was it, it was really nice thinking four or five years ago this this wouldn't even have been possible as there there was no significant amount of data. Uh, they would have said it's a million dollar policy, and you know, good luck. <laughs> and uh, so, and we actually ended up going through Lloyd's of London, and we got pretty lucky on Thursday. Uh, the men, the men's round was canceled. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, it seems like a decade ago, yeah, but the men's okay. round was can was, yeah, the men's round was canceled on Thursday. And I called Mike while that decision was being made. And I said, can we confirm that it's okay to push this to Saturday? And it was, uh, you know, we, we had to call England and get, get a reply fairly quickly. Wow. And then, um, and it, it's a shame because we couldn't do the same thing with the women because it was a weekend and there was it just wasn't going to happen that quickly. Um, uh, although uh, Paige Pierce was was a little miffed at that, she was like, "We had to throw into a headwind, and the guys are going to get a better day." And uh, right, rightly so, because the women had a a much harder chance uh, yeah. with that. They had like a fifteen mile an hour headwind, and so. One thing we learned from this is going into the policy next year, we're going to ask them. Uh, we want to pick the best two nights for the weather. We're not going to we're not going to define what night it is until the week of, and then we'll figure out what nights it'll actually happen. Uh, but uh, so, so anyway, a lot of a lot of stats went into it. A lot of money went into it, and uh, and uh, I guess I could close by saying that um, on our end, Sarah Dodge, my niece. Uh, who who does a bunch of video production worked with DGN and they coordinated uh, the, the creating of a of a little show that went on the broadcast right after the uh, after the live feed. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's awesome and and thank you for always continuing to push the envelope and come up with something new. Of course, there was you know I, I feel like there was. I, criticisms I don't even think is the right word but it probably is but also just a lot of questions <laughs> I think I think people just questioning how stuff comes about and they don't realize the massive amount of work and diligence that has to go into this clearly it's for a million dollars clearly the insurance companies are going to want to make sure everything is as legitimate as possible and and honestly that thought did cross my mind as to just the idea of like how difficult was it to change and how set were they on a particular day? Because right off the bat, I, I think of an insurance company who doesn't know anything about disc golf is like, well, you were going to do it on this day, but then somebody got a hole in one on a different day that we didn't even talk about. Like I could understand how <laughs> there, there could be, you know, the, yeah, how that all went down. Um, 
you you so, talked so about I'll, it. Go ahead. I was just to say, I'll, I'll just piggyback on that. Um, we actually had to pay. This was a, an, an unexpected thing, uh, but we actually ended up having to pay another twenty five hundred dollars for an adjuster to come out from Boston. And uh, and it was his job to come out. We, we had to save him a spot in the VIP parking lot, make sure he got there. Wow. And he had to be on site. He got on the tee. He measured the basket, made sure it was far enough. The, uh, the women's basket ended up being 455 feet. And the men's basket was 460, uh, 602 feet. So um, he, a- he came out and had to measure the whole thing. And then, uh, and then he had to go stand at the bottom and watch everybody throw. And, bear, you know, he was just there. So in addition to the minimum of four cameras, he was there to verify the whole thing. Um, the, the amount of, uh, of the, the number of T's that were crossed and I's that were dotted was, was astounding. And, and, and I'll just say thank goodness for Mike Calzone of Foy because he handled all of that. Uh, he just said, hey, Steve, we need another check for this. Hey, Steve, we got a guy to do this and this is going to happen. And, and he actually said that uh, for the first time in his life, he hopes somebody has a claim. Mm. Would make sense. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they they have to do all of those things, and I think those things, yeah. and that's why I'm glad I asked because so many of those things people never even remotely think about. Was there ever any con- pre-talked about contingency plan for inclement weather at all, like whether it was wind or rain, or if the winds were 40 miles per hour, was that like? Well, it, it is what it is. You just get whatever weather happens on that day. Did you guys talk about weather at all? We never talked about weather. Uh, it was always just, it only made sense to do this on, well, for me, it made sense to do this on Thursday, Friday. My goal was to utilize the million-dollar shot to expand the number of people that wanted to come to the first two days. Sure. I knew Saturday and Sunday were going to sell out. I wanted to create some buzz and get some excitement for those first couple of days. Um, and never, never really considered whether, and I wouldn't have even really considered whether, except for the fact that the men's round was completely canceled. And I was like, so getting these guys to come out to the course, like, and they, they haven't, they haven't warmed up. They haven't done anything all day. And then all of a sudden you're going to come and throw just one, three throws because you're, yeah. you weren't allowed to practice the throw. So it, it just, it would have been a mess. And, um, it, it was obvious if we could move it, we needed to. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> you, you, obviously you guys pushed that back to Saturday, uh, with some adjusting and some, and some extra details, even thinking about the adjuster himself who had to come out then on Saturday when he right. was planning on Thursday and everything else, Correct. as you were saying, um, I, I I got frustrated, and I, I know I I read internet comments too much. But the third time you, I get frustrated when the there's uncontrollables. Like there's a lot of people that feel as if, well, why wasn't it shorter? Essentially, why wasn't it easier? <laughs> and I, and it's like you don't grasp the concept that this isn't supposed to be easy. The like, easier it gets, the more expensive that insurance policy gets. Yeah, and so, so I guess with the, that, though, is this this insurance policy overall, does, does this go hand-in-hand hand with the East Coast Metal Roofing as the title sponsor? They're, they're, they're li- largely responsible, probably, for the insurance who was it, policy. Who was it? 
East Coast, Coast yep. metal roofing. You said it every time someone got up to throw. It, and I don't blame you. It just tell me I didn't do it right. You did it a hundred percent right, Terry. It was beautiful. I loved it, Terry. I did Miller. too. I did too. You someone, did, like, and I even commented while we were watching the live that night. Uh, I commented to whoever was sitting next to me. I love Terry Miller saying East Coast metal roofing million dollar shot every single time. It wasn't quite every single time, but it was plenty and it was wonderful. Yeah, Um, I'm with you. Huge shout out to Paul, the owner over there at East Coast metal roofing. Um, He has probably uh, 10 or 12 guys uh, that play disc golf. Most of them uh, with Maple Hill as, as their original home course back in the, uh, early 2000s and uh, they they are quite the crew over there um very disc golf centric and uh and i guess they're disc golf and metal roofing centric that's their two those are their two things um i'm i'm excited to uh for the shingles up above me to to give out so that i can get a metal roof put on because it's it's a one and done it's exactly how i like to do things but I don't know. That's I would like a metal true. roof on my house as well. So, exactly. Uh, it, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so just so, as asked on the board, someone said, you, you know, not only should it be easier, but another philo- just general philosophy is, could it be maybe shorter and easier, but at a smaller amount, like, and a more likely to hit, we'll say at a hundred thousand dollars. Were you for like just a 450 foot shot or something or whatever? Yeah. Were you just stuck on the idea that one million is such an impactful number and therefore, you know, if it's that much harder than somebody hitting a shot for a hundred thousand, do you feel like just the splash is that much bigger? And that's why one million was a number you were going after. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a hundred thousand dollar shot, uh, Today, I mean, you're you're buying a third of a house. That's that's not a big deal. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. I don't want to disparage that. Um, but a million dollar shot, you're on every every type of media in the world, and you have uh, just just like the holy shot, just like the phylotros, you have a significant impact in one go. And that was that was the reason, uh, in my opinion. The million dollar shot sounds a lot better than the hundred thousand dollar shot, and that's the difference. So, sure, you could you could move that basket up to to five hundred feet, uh, pay about the same amount of money, and and have a hundred thousand dollar shot. But I, I go big or go home. That's how we do it. Yeah, I I just feel as if so many people expected it to be hit, and we all would have loved it. But there was this weird expectation. Of it, be, like, it's just not. I gave like a one in a thousand chance. Like, yeah, do, what do they give you odds? You're you're the most numbers guy I know. Is there was uh, there like an official they, odd? They on ended that? up because everybody got three shots, and we did not factor in the significant wind the women had. Uh, they gave it about a one in a hundred. So really? each, and then they and then they tacked on some for themselves. So the you know with twenty four shots, so it's actually a a one in 2,400 shot to have the the top players in the world aim at this thing. Uh, and then we gave him 24 shots. So the, the math works out. So it's about a one in a hundred that, it, that would get hit. Um, and the policy we paid was, uh, was I'll just go ahead and say it was close to $30,000. And with the adjuster was over $30,000. I was pleasantly surprised at the, at the entire 
setup, at the production, at the crowd, I kind of, in general, and granted I'm old and jaded at this point, all I kept thinking is like, ugh, I have to sit here and watch these guys just throw discs for whatever. I was legitimately excited. It, it, You're welcome. It, not because of you, Terry. Um, I don't believe you threw a disc. Um, it, that wouldn't uh, have been exciting for, for if both, I was. For both the men and the women. Obviously, the women, we all kind of sat, eh, we don't think they're going to get it because of the wind. But when the men the next day, it was the best distance competition I've ever seen. And we've seen quite a few of them in the, in the last 20 years. So I was... I was really happy, and it flew by. Let me say, it was it was pretty good. When, when I checked my watch, our goal was to make a half-hour production out of it. Uh, the women went very fast. Uh, it was cold. It was windy. And they just got up there and, and went. And, and God bless them for trying. And uh, there were some legitimate, really good shots. But mm-hmm. sometimes you throw a perfect shot, and then the wind just smacks you. So, um I feel really bad for the women and I'll go ahead and plant this seed here. And maybe in, uh, in 11 months, someone can remind me, uh, in my opinion, the women had a much worse chance due to the weather. So maybe a week out from the tournament, we check the weather and we let the women choose first, which night they want to go. And then the men get to choose second. And then we can alternate and go back and forth. Cause as it turns out, the men had first choice this year, although nobody actually made a choice. Sure. Um, but I think it would only be fair to, to give the women a significantly better chance next year and let, let them choose the, the weather first. Um, hey, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll just follow that up. I want, uh, I know I asked you privately, but clarify for the world as to the opportunities, because you said men versus women, then it also was very dis, uh, very explicit in saying that the first person to hit the ace, and, and I love all yeah. of the, the closest to the pins to determine that, but clarify about one day versus another in terms of the women going one day and the men going the other, because I asked you a question midweek, and uh, w- what did you say to me? I I think I said I love you too. <laughs> you said that, but you, we you also I said if some woman hits it tonight, being Friday, do, oh, do right. all of the men still get to go and have their opportunity on Saturday? And yeah, they were they were two separate policies valued at the same amount. Okay, yeah, yeah, which I think is very important. I think that's worth mentioning because I'm sure somebody else was wondering if if I if my big dummy yeah. head was wondering, and I'm sure somebody else's was. I never even yeah. thought of that. And, honestly, well, that's because you're not a wait. You are. I don't know. Yeah, because there was so, such a there was such an uh, I just assumed an that, that it was two separate policies. I never okay. once put it into my head that that it would be the same thing when first person to hit it. The way you phrased it like that, I was like, oh yeah, I guess that does make sense, possibly. So yeah, and if uh, you know if if Natalie Ryan who got the very first shot because she was number one in PPI, if she had hit it right out of the gate, the other competitors wouldn't even get a shot. Well, they could mm-hmm. still take a shot, but they wouldn't have a shot at the million. Uh, it, it would be done. Um, and so what I meant by uh, the women get the first choice, we'll, we'll have Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights next year that we have an opportunity to do it on. And we'll look at the weather and say, hey, uh, hey, you top six women, uh, pick a night. And maybe we'll just do a, a vote by them. And then the men can do the same thing. Um, I want to say the it, it was, I, I honestly, it's funny. I, I guess I don't look at the internet very much anymore. Um, Thank God. Because I didn't, I didn't see anything about the, uh, 
the, the uh, bleachers. I didn't see anybody complaining about the million dollar shot saying it's too far. It's impossible. It's too easy. I didn't see any of that. Um, so which, which is great. Um, but Terry hangs out the, on some seedy internet sites. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> uh, as soon as, as soon as Albert Tom threw that first shot, I, I had goosebumps for the next half hour because, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm getting them again. Like, Anybody could have hit. They they were right there. I mean, they were buzzing the tower. Who was your and like? After, if you if you had to pick one of the male the the MPO players who had the better weather to hit it, like if if you had to give odds, who gets the best odds of hitting that amongst the player the men who threw? Well, uh, Albert and Paul were the closest, mm-hmm. so I would give them the best odds. That's funny because I, I would I would have picked Albert or AB. Just the way AB throws the power Heiser, the flat to, to Heiser. Yeah. Could, I, I think he could have fought. Him and Albert both overpowered it. Yeah. As opposed to Paul, who didn't. I, he got closest, but I don't think he ever went past the basket. Not that he. Uh, well, okay. So it's interesting. Um, they, I kept saying, uh, whenever they were pin high, yeah. I, I would let them know that. And <laughs> I was trying to say, hey, guys, that's the right distance. Do that again. Just. Aim a little more left or right, or yeah. hope the wind's a little different. Just, but you had the power right on. And um, I was talking to Paul after the event, and he said, "Steve, I just assumed you were being a carnival barker and trying to get everybody excited." <laughs> I was like, "No, I, I was really trying to help." Um, so it was that. That was a pretty funny comment because uh, Paul went to look at the basket. Uh, it, they were not allowed to take practice shots. That was, mm-hmm. that's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went and looked at the basket afterwards and realized we, we had it elevated five or six feet on that big platform. And so he said it looked much closer to the wall to him. So he, he thought he was still 50 to 80 feet short mm. and he, he didn't realize how, how close he really was. Um, so uh, next, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to do. Oh, you know what? I do know what to do. We have a video screen uh, near the T that shows how close the discs are just like they did at uh, the beast. Yeah. 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 Beast. Yeah. That's difficult. I would say that's difficult just from a production standpoint because those discs were everywhere. Like you've got one camera who's focused <laughs> on the basket in the, in the chance that it's going to come in. That's true. Th- there was probably 80% of them where the, we just watched it go off into the nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, there goes that one behind a pine. There is that one behind a fur. From FPO or MPO, and of course, <laughs> I, you know, we saw the wins. But was there anything that ultimately surprised you with it? Like uh, anything with the, with the competition with with either? I, I know the FPO had the wins, but I'm saying, just in general, with the competition over the two days, was there anything that surprised you with regard to the uh, to the you know, the actual contest. I just tore my uh, I tore my earbuds out. He was so offended at your oh question. Mm. Now is when we can talk bad about him. <laughs> That's ah! true. <laughs> All right. He's he's doing technical well. difficulties. This I don't know if you guys can hear me yelling. Yeah. Yep. yep, we hear. Yeah, you. there you go. We can edit that out in post. Whoops. Yeah, yes. that's what we'll do. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, we're known for our editing skills. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because we usually shorten okay. up our podcast. Uh, no, my question was... Were you surprised at anything I, I heard during the, the competition? I heard the question, 
Um, the thing I was most surprised about was how good natured and happy everybody was. Obviously, there's no downside. You're not nobody spent any money to take those shots. It was just totally skill based and fan vote based. Um, but looking at uh, looking at Paul and Ricky and and Simon, of course, uh, all just standing there excited. They look like little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they didn't nece- in the second and third rounds. They didn't necessarily know the order because it, w- it was based on CTP, and uh, and it was fun because we'd we'd say okay up next, and you could see Paul like move his foot onto the tee, and then be like oh <laughs> I have to wait, and <laughs> it made it brought me such joy. I got this. I got a mess here. Um, it brought me such joy to see how happy those guys were. Um, that was. That that would be my biggest takeaway, and and the fact that they can throw six hundred feet pretty accurately. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, seeing how happy those guys were um, was uh, was was probably one of the one of the highlights for me. Was there All anyone right. in the field that you looked that you looked at the field and thought I'd like to see them take a shot at it that didn't get a chance to throw? Gannon Burr. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, after the fact. Uh, it was kind of fun. So the whole thing finished and then like 20 top pros jumped on the tee and just started throwing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I remember the staff, the staff were down there and they collected a lot of the discs, maybe all of the discs and brought them to the base of the, of the structure. And then they were just like, wait a minute, what, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> like there's just hundreds more discs now. Um, and, uh, and I think that, I don't know for sure, but I think that Gannon Burr actually hit the platform. Okay. And and I saw him take three shots, and they were right there. He he is he is an impressive person. Yeah, it's too bad he's not probably old enough to claim it or something. Being <laughs> only seventeen, <laughs> <laughs> they would have had to Sorry, fly his mom a, in to sign the sign for the check or something. Do a trust fund. All right. Well, speaking of checks and and the overall uh, event, let's get right into it. We saw, of course, the incredible playoff in the morning. Well, first of all, we'll start the four rounds that took place. So maybe before we even talk about the FPO division. The just the idea. I mean, how kind of bizarre, right? Four rounds for FPO, only the three for the men. Any any clarification or thing you want to say about how that decision came about? That it ultimately is four for women and three for men. And then why didn't we still have a cut for FPO for the fourth round as planned? Why didn't we have a cut yes. for the FPO? Uh, I I believe that that decision was made to be consistent between the divisions as much as possible. Mm. Um, I did hear from some of the women that they were glad that, that there wasn't a cut. Um, it was different than what was anticipated, but I, I think that that was done just to be consistent with the MPO. In my opinion, the, uh, the Pro Tour did a really good job of handling uh, the the weather delay and balancing the concerns of the players with the 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 needs of a tournament. Um, you've got a you've got a tournament. Your goal is to get as much disc golf in as possible. Um, you've got lightning delays. If if the MPO had started and only a few of the cards had gotten on, uh, which is likely or which is what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it would have been a, a very big mess the next day because the mm -hmm. women wouldn't been wouldn't have been able to play and and they in fact so you we would have in fact shortened both divisions to three to three rounds if if that had happened uh, in all likelihood um, and yeah it, it it would have been a, a big mess and I'm really glad the way the pro tour handled that entire situation. What's the communication like between you, your staff, and then the Disc Golf Pro Tour staff? What is that communi not communication? What's that conversation like? Um, you know, who's kind of driving the bus? And are you are you do you just provide feedback? Do you rubber stamp stuff? Like what what is that communication like in that conversation? So for the for the weather delays, um, I even commented how how happy I am with the way the situation is. I don't call anything. Um, I, I remember four, three, four, five years ago, it was on the event to, to say, okay, the lightning is too close and we've got to call it, or um, there's too much rain and the there's tee pads are flooding or, or whatever it is, um, and we've got to call it. And now it is 100% on the pro tour. I, I obviously have input. And if I said, hey, uh, I, I think there's an issue because of such and such would, would be listened to, no problem. Uh, no concerns on that. But uh, Seth Muncy of the Pro Tour makes the call and says, okay, we've got to, we, we need to stop now. Um, there was lightning, it's fast moving, it was within this distance, or it was even closer and it's slow moving or, or whatever it is. Um, their, their software was much better than the software that I had. And I, I actually loved looking at it and seeing all the different strikes and um, player safety is paramount to the pro tour and hearing all the conversations and then also the input from the players was, was critical as well. Um, whether or not they feel safe and whether or not they feel listened to is important. So I was very impressed with the, uh, the level of communication between, I guess, and the PDJ was there as well. So between all of the, the, the disparate groups, um, and then as soon as we got word, we were able to pass it on to the spectators and then pass it on to uh, our staff. Um, and then the Pro Tour disseminated it to their end and the PDJ, I assume, disseminated through the through PDGA.com and other channels. Yeah, because of, of all the things at Maple Hill, it feels like the one big complaint is the tee pads. When they get wet, they get slick. In dry weather, it feels like Nobody really has too much of a problem with them, but during inclement com conditions, those tee pads do not have the best reputation. Have you taken any uh, of that? I've, have, have, I mean, clearly you've probably heard that from a year. I mean, this is this isn't new. This is something that we've known for correct. years. Correct. And uh, one of the one of the big things to your point is if a if a tee pad has these pavers and is in the shade. Um, it tends to get more algae growing on it than if it's in the sun. And so the, I guess, Tuesday or Wednesday before the tournament, we bleach clean uh, all of the tee pads that are concerns. And um, I did hear one of the top female players who had complained about the tees and was concerned after the round said, actually, the tees were pretty good. Um, and it was it was a, uh, it was said in a surprised way. Like, so we, we 
do hear those concerns and we do address those concerns. Um, having said that, I do remember seeing in the final round, I think I saw Ricky slip on 17. Um, and there, that front left corner of the 17 tee pad, I, I feel like there was noticeable mud on the tee, mm. uh, as a, as a, as a remnant. Mm-hmm. And that uh, other players would, would kind of avoid that area. And, and Ricky just happened to step in a, an area that was in fact quite slippery. Um, it's something we work to address. We we do clean the tee pads every year before the tournament, and uh, we're we're doing our best to to mitigate it. I'm going to take a quick tangent to that, and since I know you're a man who will take feedback and or put this maybe even on a dream or bucket list, and maybe some of the uh, media guys already said this as a commentator and a guy, as a guy who's been there. If I had a a couple of dream items to add. It would be an extension off the back of nine, and I know these are all structural, costly things to do. I'm not, I'm not, you know, ignorant to that. But an extension off the back of nines tee, just so there's plenty of room for both cameramen and players, because there's always that awkwardness. Even me, who's filmed there dozens yeah. of times, there's that awkwardness of like, well, does the player mind me on the tee with them? And if I'm in a corner and then we're not getting a great shot anyway. I like looking up uh, James Conrad's shorts. Or looking, or you're standing <laughs> down looking up, which kind of looks cool for a moment. It's just such, it's such a great hole, but it's so difficult to cover. And I know we've had, you know, Todd up in a tree on the catch, but I'm just thinking if, again, yeah, we're where were you, Todd? In our in our dream world, <laughs> if somehow a and I don't know how old or not that T pad is in the first place, that whole structure on nine, but in a dream world that's extended by eight or ten feet back. Um I we'll have to get some engineers out there to make that happen. And then in a similar sense, the challenge with four and everybody throws on four, and then the second they throw, they step into the like two inches we have to view. Right. And it, right. again, I understand all of these things, but if we're creating a you know a, a bucket list of minor things that could be uh, helpful from a media, selfishly of course, from a media perspective, some kind of little tower up behind four, and I know yeah. that could come in there's, to play with three's there, basket. There's been but, a bench back there before that our guys have stood on, and I've I've usually as a as a director tend to take try to take the shot from the catch, but that doesn't always work because they catch a tree early. It wrecks my shot. I yeah. always just trust that all our players are perfect, and they're gonna, and they're gonna pipe it. It's their fault. So, I'll say I'll say two things to that, Terry. Uh, first of all, uh, because of that question, so we have a we have a spectator survey that we sent out. We'll send a staff survey out as well. I'm gonna go ahead and this year add in a media survey um, because that's those two things that you pointed out are. One of them is an easy, relatively easy fix. The, the the giving you a platform on hole four to stand on won't be that hard. Um, and if there's something that we can do that would improve the the media uh, experience, it's definitely worth doing. If it, mm-hmm. presuming it's not too costly, I guess if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. That's how we do it. Uh, and then uh, and on hole nine, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to do a a media survey so look for that in the next day or two um one more thing for you to do terry good and then that's what i'm hoping that's what i needed on hole nine um i got to experience the eight holes again this year uh i I think they knocked it out of the park uh 
I, I love the way that the energy they bring to the entire course. Um, and I love that the 14ers are, are stepping up their game mm-hmm. and, uh, and who knows, who knows exactly what's going to happen long-term. Um, I hope the people at 11 and 13 understand that that place is called the Cutler place, that, that hill is called the Cutler place so that they don't misname themselves like the 11 13ers or something, but mm-hmm. it, they're actually going to be like Cutlers or something. But <laughs> on hole nine, uh, one of the things that I'm going to ask Gage to do, and I haven't talked to him yet, so he'll probably hear about it in about five minutes when someone calls him. Uh, <laughs> I I want to look for another tee pad 50 feet to the left of where hole nine's current tee pad is and get it farther away from the eight holes. Yeah. Because uh, that – Let's uh, get away I from those eight holes. On, <laughs> <laughs> I understand people out on 14 and – all over the course, uh, you know, have uh, they had they hear the noise from hole eight, but the people on the tee of nine, like it's they're right there, and the the cheers on hole eight are not in cadence with what's going on on the tee of hole nine. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one that I actually think should be addressed. Um, the extension on the tee is is fine, but I I think a whole different tee would actually be warranted there. Yeah, I. It's too bad because I really love the, and maybe there's a space over there. I was gonna say I love how just yeah. almost dead straight the whole plays, and mm-hmm. but you know coming maybe from an angle, it could still be relatively straight. It's gonna have a little bend in it at some point, but yeah, that, I mean again, that's totally selfish, and and I've been there, and and we saw some of that this weekend. A couple times, players said, "Hey, can you back up?" Or they're good with it, and you're just kind of awkwardly standing there, and, and or you're getting a shot up James Conrad's shorts, which, I mean, it's for somebody. Um, the eight holes, they bring a lot of energy. They're a lot of fun. Do you feel like there's a point where it could be overboard? I mean, we heard, well, we heard Nate Sexton and Nate Doss on the commentary. We went, we were going to go to commercial off of the eight holes, kind of doing their big clap as they do. And suddenly (laughs) somebody gets on the green and they start announcing players names and then they start clapping and then there's the flags and they're like, at what point does it become a distraction? Because as Nate and Nate had said, they don't necessarily they wouldn't necessarily love it in the heat of battle having to wait on eight while these guys do their full routine so to speak is is there a point where we need to kind of tone them down sadly i mean they're such a great addition for a lot of things so one one really nice thing is that uh zach benson who is uh where's the, the where's the crown mm-hmm. he's the king um I don't want to announce. I I can't decide who's king out there. I I can only say he's wearing the <laughs> it's crown. Like Lord of the Flies, um, we know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he is. Uh, he uh, I would say he's sort of quasi staff at this point. Uh, if there's something that needs to be done on hole eight, uh, we can just task him to do it, and we know it's going to be done. Um, if if there's yeah. So anyway, he he works very closely with us, and and. If there's a genuine concern, we bring it up to him, and and he he brings it to the the primary eight holes, and then it disseminates from there. Um, 
I have not looked into uh, exactly what happened on the, I think it was just the final card, but I'm not sure where it, from, from I've, I've heard different varying stories and I, I need to try to pin this down at some point, but I've heard that there was a delay there. Uh, I've also heard there was reasons for the delay, but I, I, I haven't sussed out what those were. Um, so yeah, in, in my opinion, I wouldn't want the eight holes to impede the pace of play. Uh, the, they should be calling out the names before the people get to the tee. Um, I don't have a problem with Zach getting on the green and leading the crowd uh, the, the way that he does with his slow claps. Um, but if if they're not done with their production before the people reach the tee, then something should be uh, should be modified. Yeah, it was funny just because we were going to go to commercial off of like again the clapping when they started the production, and then at one point we're like, "All right, I guess we're just staying here then," <laughs> because by the time they were done with the full, with the full thing, it was time for everyone to tee off. And so rather than go to a commercial yeah. and then put everything in replay, we just went live. And I didn't have a problem with it, but that's when Nate and Nate had brought up uh, whether or not the players were waiting, whether it was something else, because I know there's some talk about them them and the fourteeners. Um, we got to get a better name for them. But we'll stick with 14ers for now. Um, distracting other cards, and I don't really have a problem with that personally. I think that's now become part of the uh, the play, part of the atmosphere, part of the, what you need to, to focus and concentrate on while you're at Maple Hill because those the, the eight holes can be heard literally from hole one through probably 15? No, every hole, every hole, every hole. Course. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and we, we saw a couple times players have to stop regroup and start their process again because of a mistimed cheer to them. Maybe they're on hole 11 and or five or five or something like that. But, uh, I personally don't have a problem with that aspect of it. I like the excitement. I love the cheering. Um, it, it, it makes it difficult as a, from the production. Cause we're used to hearing cheers like that and assume something big happened. Like, yeah. Oh, there's an ace right. somewhere on the course or somebody's hit a huge putt. Let's look on you. Not someone tickled a tree and then skirted near OB and then, and then like, stopped and 28 feet away. And then you hear Usually. this crowd eruption. So it, it, or, uh, or, or someone walked to a T uh, yeah, that, yeah. there's a huge eruption, but the good thing is we can um, tell on 14 when that, when, uh, 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 who hit the ace? That was Alex Benson. Alex Benson. When Alex Benson hit yeah. the ace, because that was more of an eruption and a lasted thing, and so we kind of knew at that yeah. point something big had happened. So, uh, I'm glad you bring up that that shot because I I think I was watching Nick and Matt, or yeah, I think it was Nick and Matt the other night, and uh, either Nick or Matt Graham told a story, but uh, the eight holes. It's it's interesting because. Um, is it more disruptive to have constant clapping occur, uh, you know, it, it, every minute or two, uh, or is it more disruptive to have the group in front of you have a big shot and just have loud clapping all at, all of a sudden? Um, because both are going to happen mm-hmm. in a disc golf tournament. And uh, I, I, the story that I heard was Missy Gannon was putting on hole nine, which is on the opposite side of hole 14 when Alex hit that ace. And so she was all lined up and then 
that uh, that the big eruption happened. And to her credit, she paused and said, "Okay, I'm, I'm not going to." She actually with- gave a little applause too. Like she turned around, yeah. looked, and I think realized what happened and gave a, a little golf clap. And then when she was resetting, I, maybe Alex was running down the dam, or a bunch of people were running down. I don't exactly know. And then the crowd erupted again as she's approaching the basket and. She was just like, okay, what's going on now? <laughs> and then I, I think that she putt and missed and maybe rolled out of bounds. And um, and it that's these are the things that are gonna happen. We're yeah. we're all we're all on the same property. Um and and having said that, Maple Hill I think is actually more spread out than most courses. If you're if you're playing Maple Hill and there's eighteen groups out there that are well spaced you might not even know there's other groups out there during an ordinary day um, as the holes are all pretty well spaced out and they're all self-contained for the most part. So yeah, that was, uh, that, that's just going to happen. No, and that's a good point is that there's there's constant excitement and applause and eruptions really from sun up to sundown out there. And that probably overall is easier to get used to than just the the one or two bursts you might hear in a day mm-hmm. um, right. coming from, like you said, an ace or something of that nature. And uh, it's obviously an electrifying cl- crowd and a lot of excitement out there. Um, uh, and it's it's crazy to see so many people get into it for so long. And then what it's evolved from, too. I, I think it's all it goes yeah. along with so much of the rest of the tournament uh, to where it's come from. So uh, we, we we side we all derailed ourselves. Uh, FPO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> back to the actual golf. But FPO. Wait, wait, let me let me say real quick. I uh, I know that we have the best staff in the world, and I say it every time, and the staff gets better and better. And, like, now they're marking discs in the middle of the fairway. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're putting a little flight. And it, these guys are fantastic. Um, but I, I think for the first time, I genuinely believe we have the best spectators as well. Um, they come out. They are respectful. They have so much fun. Uh, they, they listen to the uh, – to the staff that says, "Hey, go around over here." What? Wait, what? Well, all there was one. Guy. All but one guy. There was one guy. How'd that guy one get? Guy. How'd that how'd guy that get? Guy, yeah, how'd that guy get in? I um. just think the crazy, the best question of the whole weekend is, "Well, why'd you move it?" I don't know. I don't know. Like, why'd you, you pick wait? it up? What are you I don't talking know. about? On hole fourteen, uh, during during the round, it was this. I believe the second. I card, think it was the chase card. Ben was Calloway. Ben Calloway threw a shot. He was way off to the left side into the woods on the left side of fourteen. Oh, and at, no. at some point, it was brought to our attention that some guy picked it up. He just walked over, picked up the disc, and so they had to determine where it where it was. And so they put it back. And Robert Leonard's on camera with us <laughs> at this point, and he says, "Well." Uh, why'd you pick it up? Why did you touch it? Or why'd you pick it up? Whatever he said. The guy just goes, I don't know. Uh, it was a little bit more slurry. Uh, I don't know. Like It was just... Like, it was just, just <laughs> I think it was someone who had a little too much fun, maybe just saw a disc there, didn't realize there was a group on the tee, and just was like, oh, there's a disc here. Not realizing, oh yeah, there's a tournament. I mean, realizing there's a tournament going on, but maybe not realizing there's a card coming, and just literally with a little bit of uh, help, 
in this bloodstream just walked over and hey, I got it. There's a disc here. Mm-hmm. It wow. was. <laughs> so, I'll take this up to Lost and Found. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the guy that's walking to it, trying to play yeah. from it on the chase so, card. But you're, I, I do agree though. You have, you guys, I think, do have the best spectators, <laughs> most pretty much most respectful, and probably some of the most knowledgeable in. in and on the tour and they have so much fun it's really really fun how much how much fun they are having it i i get joy from it and if we want to talk about drunk spectators i actually do have one fun story <laughs> okay please because uh, so, we know how much you like um, to drink so this is clearly <laughs> this is this is uh you under a different name i have a, i have a friend yes um <laughs> Do you, you guys are, uh, know, I don't know if it's Phil, Phil Delone. Phil Delone, yeah, on our, on our on the Disc Golf Pro Tour staff, yep. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story that he shared with me. He, uh, he, he saw a spectator who clearly was having, uh, some, he, he, was, he was drunk. Okay. And uh, Phil, Phil said, sir, you, 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 need to, you need to leave the course. You're, 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 you're gone. And the guy was super respectful. He said, I'm so sorry. I don't normally drink this much. And then he looked up at Phil and he goes, are you Drew Gibson? (laughs) (laughs) Feels like a foot and a half taller than Drew, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. um, Are you? And and Phil says, no, I'm not Drew Gibson. And he said, the guy says, if you're Drew Gibson, I'll walk off the course with you. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like Drew would be doing crowd control in the first you don't place. No, Drew could. Maybe, maybe. Wow. Okay. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Huh. Uh, well, with that though comes you know the you know these viewers show up. You have VIP parking. You know you have you fit more in this year than ever before. I know there has to be tournament parking for the players and all this other stuff. That maybe is one of the 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 good challenges or drawbacks to this. You have so many people. Did I see in an email? Your people are parking at an airport, the the you know local regional airport down the road, and are are trying to Uber in or walk to the course. Like clearly, parking. There's only so much you can do about that, right? I mean, and is this such a good problem to have? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Good good problems are still good. That's one thing we have to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good problems are still good. Uh, the we actually have a very comprehensive plan for next year's parking already, and we will make it more robust as we go. Um, we are planning on hiring uh, two shuttle buses that will be shuttling people in from offsite parking, which we anticipate will be probably about half of all spectators will will be parking off-site. Every year, I take it as a personal challenge to try to get as many cars on-site as I can. And next year, uh, because the shuttle worked so well this year, and it wasn't a professional shuttle, it was just us. um, (laughs) Next year, we're going to have a professional shuttle uh, every, every 12 minutes going back and forth from wherever the, the parking lot is. There's four or five potential parking lots. We just have to work with the town to figure out what the best one is. Um, and so that's that's going to bring about half the people in. And then all of the other lots, we're going to reduce the cars by about 10% and make parking on-site basically stress-free. 
Um, so it'll be easier on the staff. It'll be easier on the people parking on site. We'll use the opportunity of the shuttle to inform people of the what's happening that day. We, you know, give them a little card that says, here's the schedule for today. Um, hit the person on the shuttle would be able to scan people in and give them all their passes. And so when they get off the bus, they're all scanned and they just go. Um, there's a lot of advantages to being able to shuttle people in. It'll be a, it says it's a six minute trip from, from the farthest of the four lots. So that's a, a fine amount of time in a shuttle. Um, and I think you'll be able to check in up to 10 people pretty easily in that time frame. So that's, we, we have a, a really good plan already for to address the parking because that is a big deal. Um, the other big deal that I see uh, in this, it was fun looking over the spectator answers because people um, wanted more diverse food. They wanted a coffee vendor. They wanted bleachers on hole two. They wanted bleachers on hole 11. And then, and it's really fun because now that people see the bleachers like, Oh wow, let's put them there and there and there. And they don't realize those, those bleachers are not free. So, um, but, uh, but we're happy to invest and we will grow and grow and grow. But, uh, the, the big thing that I see is making it so that we can get more people around hole 18. We, Mm -hmm. we can put people at hole eight and we can put people at 14 and we can put people at the Cutler place on 11, 13, um, and at hole one and, and in the woods, if you have the gold pass and all, we can spread people out on the course and, and people are getting used to the idea of sitting in a spot and watching the cards come through. And then when the lead card, lead women's card go through, you follow them. And then when they finish, you go back to your spot and you watch the lead men's card. And so we can spread people out during the day. But at the end of the tournament, we need to be able to fit 1,500 people around <laughs> hole 18. Um, so bleachers around hole 18 is – or some a solution around hole 18 is is the next – next big hurdle and i would say that's that's what we're going to address most uh this next year okay. and uh and i believe parking is is not not going to be an issue ever again going forward awesome fantastic what were do you have any idea you have some idea probably then of what were the numbers like for you this year in terms of spectators and do you feel like weather significantly impacted that one way or another obviously there weren't as many on Thursday afternoon. I'm not an idiot, but uh, overall, how much, uh, w- you know, what were you looking at for some of your numbers? Uh, Saturday and Sunday were sold out, 1,250 tickets each day. Um, and Friday, we sold close to 1,000. And then Thursday was not, it was probably around on the five to 600. Do you feel like, though, I, I mean, are those numbers just right? I mean, how, you know, at a certain point, there's saturation and or yeah. you're, you're hurting the viewing experience of being there. I know you just talked about ways to address some of that, but, you know, is there a magic number in mind? Uh, the, the goal next year will be to, so last, last year, in 2021, we had uh, 625 tickets sold on Saturday and Sunday. Mm. and I looked at hole 18 and I, <laughs> in my scientific way, mm-hmm. I said, I think we can have about twice as many people. And so I doubled it. Um, with with some increased infrastructure, I think we can have about 20% more people around hole 18. So we're going to go up to 1,500 tickets. Okay. Okay. I like I, it. Or I, I should say, 
I shouldn't say that definitively. I should say that's my current plan. Uh, but it's been all of three days since the event. So yeah, and you're not one to exactly. change your mind on stuff. So, so, <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, so it came down to 18. You know, yeah. obviously in overtime for the FPO, and what very close to overtime for MPO. But on the FPO side, the four rounds, it comes down to our world champ against Natalie Ryan, who's won earlier in the season, of course, at Glow, very different course. And she put a stop to Kristen, who's won the last four events she's entered, of course, being a Silver Series, a couple of Elite Series, and a Major. Can can you draw that up any better? I mean, uh, is the only thing better than a two-person playoff is a three-person playoff? I mean, like, talk about talk about the FPO side and maybe even the the battle of of Paige charging in the last day, and then Natalie versus uh, versus Kristen. Uh, is there anything you want to to chime in on any of that? I mean, yeah, I I will go ahead and say one thing. Um... I personally wanted to have a whole one and whole 18 aggregate playoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like one whole playoffs are not enough for I'll just say elite series for, for yeah, for elite series and up. Uh, I think an elite series, a major um, going to a one whole playoff, is uh, and and Robert Leonard actually pointed this out. He said the last two world championships were both decided with a one hole sudden death playoff on an island hole. Mm-hmm. Sixteen is, both times, hole sixteen both times. Uh, potentially could be viewed as a little fluky. Um, where obviously if you throw it on, you throw it on, but things can happen. Like that, if we made our our one one hole hole eight, I think you know. Gannon Burr hit the basket and almost rolled out of bounds. That would mm-hmm. be a bad way to lose. Um, I like the idea of if you lose that first hole, or in this case it would be hole one, then you have an opportunity to come back on hole 18 and play aggressive and try to get the birdie and force the other person to get a birdie as well. And maybe they end up bogeying and you end up winning. And like there's, I think it increases the fairness to the players and the excitement for the spectators. Um, and in this case, one and 18 are both iconic. And one is righty friendly and 18 is lefty friendly. So I think it like the, the balance works out in a lot of ways. So um, that's the one thing that I personally would have liked to have seen different. Uh, but overall, I mean, wow, what an amazing finish. Um, and you Kristen, just didn't get, you just didn't yeah. get an exemption for that. Is that what I heard? Because we had talked to originally it was discussed that that was the playoff structure. And then something that, that was some miscommunication. <laughs> uh, you could call it miscommunication. Um, it's more of me never even considering that there could be a rule about that. Like, why would they make a rule about that? Mm. So I didn't ask for an exemption until Thursday. <laughs> so, um, or it might have been Wednesday, but I think it was Thursday. And then the uh, the competition committee actually had a meeting that night and discussed it and said no. Um, because it was just I, short notice. I mean, the concept's not completely unique or crazy. So uh, they didn't say it was because they didn't say it was because of short. Well, actually, it's kind of funny. They they did say they wanted to have time to discuss it. And I was my thought was I, I thought that's what you were doing at the meeting. <laughs> but uh, 
but I, I threw something on the agenda very late. So maybe they didn't have time to discuss it at the meeting because they had other things. Um, but uh, it it felt like a slam dunk to me. I wish it had happened. It didn't. Um, ho hopefully next year the rules can be tweaked for Elite Series and up. And if we want to have aggregate whole playoffs, we can do it. Yeah, and, I love the idea. I've uh, said it for years. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw a couple of quick clarifiers in there. One, um, the rule by default, if, if I think, the rule currently stands as if there's a playoff, unless otherwise determined by a tournament director, it is sudden death starting on hole one. I believe that's how it's officially stated in the competition manual. Um. And then secondly, at some point during the final round, I was sent a link to the idea that it was going to be 18 and then a whole one aggregate. I was sent that because it was listed that way on UDISC. And it's something I usually think about And anytime we have a close battle, I, whether I'm in the field or in the booth, I start thinking ahead to that if it's even a remote possibility. And so I was sent to the link from UDISC. That's where it had it listed. I said it. I I. I Surprisingly, got it out relatively clearly. Then I said it again on my own accord a little later. And then before the third time I was about to ever say it or mention it again, it was put into my ear. Hey, just so you know, there wasn't a waiver granted. That's not the case. It's not happening. And I was like, awesome. I'm glad I was wrong twice. And I'm going to fall on the sword. So that's why I then had to come back and I made a, a clarification. And at that point, I didn't know what what waiver by whom. I didn't know any of those details. It doesn't really matter. But I'm I'm glad on my own accord I said it incorrectly twice. So uh, that's how it went down. Because then naturally the internet does its interneting and was like, well, wait, someone changed it. Who changed it? Why why aren't they? Terry said it was going to be that way, and I, they didn't hear the explanation or whatever. So as if there was some kind of favoritism or something silly, I don't know. So yeah, you, you and I have worked. You and I have worked together for. Uh, well over a decade now yeah. and yeah. it's I, I I didn't make a bet with Jesse but I was like I know at some point I'm going to do something that causes Terry to say a, a wrong wrong information <laughs> and I'm so happy that we finally have that behind us yes yes it was and and honestly I when I heard there was an exemption, I didn't know if that was a, a pro tour thing. I didn't know if that was just strictly a PDGA thing. I didn't even know who to, it doesn't matter who to really point the finger of blame at, but um, you, you were uh, wrong. Yeah, me, it was, it was just me because I was Barry. reading what was on UDISC. So clearly this, I'm the idiot here. This is the guy to point the finger at okay, right here. Now I know. Good. I didn't, I didn't read the competition whatever that other book is manual and, uh, and, and, and that, uh, that says you have to have a sudden death playoff. Um, and it, it honestly, it's never occurred to me that you couldn't do a two hole playoff. Like why would that be a rule? But, uh, so, but that is a rule. And so you need a waiver. And it's, I think it's so people it. can't just make shit up whenever they want. <laughs> we're going to do an 18 hole playoff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to go play with the odd numbered holes, you know, from the short pads and the even number holes from the long pads. Like, I think it's for that exact reason. There's a default and then it, that's to safeguard. So random stuff doesn't just get made up, which, you know, lots of TDs would otherwise do. I do love the idea. I'll, I'll go on record and agree with you guys. I think that's a great idea. I think so. Yeah, that that error is mine uh, because I didn't ask for the waiver in enough time to give them time to discuss it. Uh, so that's that's on me. 
And then uh, and uh, we've also may, seen maybe implemented. I write... Go ahead. I was going to say maybe I should write an email right now saying, "Hey, can we do it next year?" Uh, that that would be a good idea. Um, we've also <laughs> seen implemented uh, the the rule that I really also like this year with, with when it gets to the playoff is that. You know, there's a coin that's flipped to determine who goes first. That used yeah, to always I like be that rule. by default the person who had the hotter previous round. So that coin flip and then having it alternate anytime after mm-hmm. that. I certainly like that application as well. So and I know that's been a, a pro tour thing, at least for this year, for this year. It. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you, Terry. I think that's a great change and another argument for a two hole aggregate playoff. Sure. Give them an opportunity to most. Obviously, if somebody wins the hole. The first hole, they're going to go first on the next hole. But uh, maybe it's not obvious, actually. So, But give both people an opportunity to go first if it's a, if it's a tire, the person going second wins. The, the only minor downside, and I was thinking about just, again, the geography, the only super minor downside to 18, then one, and if you're for sure playing one, is then picking moving. everybody up and moving uh, them out of where they were because you're saying they have to stay put. Or what? No, uh, the the aggregate was was going to be hole one and then eighteen. I wanted them to finish on eighteen. So okay. well, I don't know where eight... not how, because that's not how it was listed on UDisc. It was listed as yeah, them I... playing eighteen again and then going to one. So that's how I <laughs> shared it with the right. world. So that's where so I don't wrong, know Terry. why yeah. I, I don't know, know why, why it was listed so eighteen one. It was supposed to be one and eighteen. Well. <laughs> That's life, and it's we we at least understand now why yeah uh, why why it happened and what's going on. Um, so, did you guys want to talk about FBO now? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know if there was a tournament. Yeah, I mean, give give us your uh, give us. I mean, okay, Johnny, how about this? Johnny's going to read your top eight players. Top off, eight players. Uh, just as a refresher, Natalie Ryan winning in the playoff over Kristen Tatar. Third place, Paige Pierce making a a stellar run after a lot of people have kind of talked about her being on the downslide of her career over the last month, which is insane to me. <laughs> Holland Hanley uh, tied with Deanne Diesel Carey for fourth place. In fifth place was Evelina Salonen. Uh, sixth place, the ageless wonder, Owen Scoggins, who took fourth in the Pro Tour points this year, by the way, might mm-hmm. I add. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, eighth place, Ella Hansen. Ninth place, Macy Valadez tied with Henna Bloomroos. So there's your top ten. So you say it, Terry? Bloomroos? That's another topic. We we can get into that later. (laughs) So there's your top ten. Quick take on that. Any thoughts? I would say they all played great to get there. Yeah. I'm... (laughs) Are you surprised? I'll follow that up. If, I say, if I'm you're a little gonna be surprised at, at the top four are some of our furthest throwers. Power throwers. And people don't think of Maple Hill as a power That's true. course. Like Natalie Ryan, Kristen Tatar, Paige Pierce, and Holland Hanley. I mean, if you want a distance competition, you pick those four practically. And and especially, I'll go ahead and say the women's course, the diamond course at Maple Hill, uh, about three years ago, we made it much more technical mm-hmm. and uh, we started to dial it back to, to try to balance it out a little bit more with uh, with opening up a couple of holes. But I agree with you, Johnny. It's definitely not a, a distance heavy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I was a little surprised that seeing, um, uh, particularly, I mean, Holland Hanley's a phenomenal player. She's a pretty good putter, but she's known for her distance. Natalie Ryan, known for her distance. Kristen Tatar, all-around player. And Paige Pierce is an all-around good player, but also known for her distance. I mean, you get that way when you're like a four-time world champ or five-time world champ, whatever she is these days. Six-time, eight. I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, yeah five-time world champion. Um, I think when, when I see that list, and, and even in the top ten, as Johnny just read them off, the two names you don't see are the two of the more, uh, previous champions that we often see in literally everywhere, Katrina Allen and Sarah Hokum. You know, two women that know the course yeah. and know how to win there. Yeah. And they're both having, you know, their their struggles or not, or, or they just didn't play up to, you know, to the standards of the other women. But to not see a Katrina Allen or a Sarah Holcomb, I think it's fair to say that's also pretty surprising, uh, especially given the course yeah. and their longevity. I, I would agree with that entirely. So. You guys are very good at this analysis thing. Yeah, yeah, thanks. You know, that's what we do. Uh, <laughs> okay, maybe not. Uh, and I will go ahead and say, when when you're when you're running an event, um, you well, when I'm running an event, uh, I'm not able to pay attention to what's going on mm-hmm. during the event. Um, I knew that Deanne Carey had gotten fourth uh, because she she hadn't done that well at an elite series before, and that was one of the things that I heard about. Uh, I did not realize that she had tied Holland Handley, and it makes me a little bit embarrassed because Holland parked in my driveway, and I asked her if she had a good tournament. <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm just I'm just not aware. Of, I know that Kristen and Natalie were in the playoff, uh, but there's there's a lot of moving parts to an event this big, and uh, I'm I'm not able to be uh, aware of all of the stuff that's going on on the course. I'm I'm trying to make sure all the staff and all the spectators and, and all the players have, have what they need to, to be happy. Yeah. And I, I, when I look at that final round, one of the other major things that just jumps off the page is what Hannah was doing out there. The fact that, you know, she had a little bit of a slow start. She was even through five, but then went on uh, to get five birdies in a row, hard 10, and then got two more birdies after that. So what is that? Seven out of eight holes and was you know seemingly just destroying the course and then ran into uh, a common problem which is her short range putting you know that happened on 17 we saw that all on air we we didn't see what happened on 18 she have two ob's it, is that what i saw yeah she two, uh, yeah, two, she had two, two ob's, OBs so that's 18. easy to add up strokes there but. Uh, especially with the way after 17 went i mean she was dis- clearly distraught after her five putt on 17. Yeah. Um, just going back and forth uh, on that elevated basket. So she birdied six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then 12, 13. No, she, uh, well, no five through nine. She birdied. Oh, oh five through nine. nine. Okay. Wait, am I looking? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. I apologize. Yeah. yeah, yeah five, five through nine. And then <laughs> 11 and 12. She missed hole 10. Oh, wow. I would. Okay. And That's I think funny, she had a look at those it. Whole, Hole 10 would be, I mean, that's a power yeah, hyzer. I, I think she's got that in her bag. She does. Um, she Yeah, she does. Yeah. She she missed a circle two putt. She, okay. So she was in uh, circle two and missed it and then hit the circle one putt from 15 feet. Hitting 11 and 12 is pretty good, too. And, yeah, so that's that's a great stretch. Um, 
and yeah, I'm sorry that she ended up uh, with. Yeah, she with went that, triple bogey, triple bogey to finish out. But wow. certainly, um, you know, was proving though, like, hey, this this course can get shredded, and that's exactly yeah. what she was doing uh, throughout that section of the course, and was very much making a charge and and being in the conversation, um, but ultimately came up short. And, so, and I I did see that the women. Uh, played much better on Saturday, Sunday than they did Thursday, Friday with the Thursday, obviously with the rain and wind and then Friday with the tremendous wind. Um, I did see scores getting much better. And when we do our analysis, like we have to, we do have to bear in mind <laughs> the weather is a significant factor. You, like you, I, in my opinion, you can't look at Thursday and Friday and say, okay, this course is too hard. You, you have to look at the days when they had an opportunity to score. Yeah, and what I think jumped off the page most for me, it was just how glaringly obvious it becomes that wind affects the play so much more than than the actual rain. Because the scores from round yeah. one, yeah. albeit weren't you know wildly amazing, they also weren't as bad as what I feel like they could have been. Like you look I mean, at your top fifteen, just looking at the scores, averaged we'll say two over par, one to two over par. Um, if you're top 15 players on round one, uh, other than Natalie Ryan, who shot a plus seven. Um, so it is kind of amazing that she came back. But then yeah. you, you go to round two and you see the you see the score is significantly higher. They look like they're averaging more like, you know, three or Roughly four. Roughly 8.62 over par. Oh, okay. oh, look, as, get, as a division. There yeah. you go. Wow, it's hairy. <laughs> I, I, I never, honestly, and this is a stats thing, I hate looking at that particularly, although that gives you a general good idea. I like to look at usually the top 15 to 20 players because a lot of times yeah. we do see players that do not, that I don't want to say should not be playing in the FPL field, but maybe are not at the caliber that we see. So when, when we see somebody have stroke gained <laughs> over the field, you know, 10.7 I'm thinking like yeah but what are they versus like the top 20 women but I get it like it that is a relatively good descriptor of how much worse because everybody's playing you know bad So I actually Uh-oh Steve Dodge I actually froze up. Or is anybody watching this live? Yeah, yeah, we watch people. Yeah, this watches. People watch this live. Yeah. You, okay, so there's a few people there. There's a few. Hopefully all of them chime in. Chime in so we get a couple of different comments okay. here my question is whole 18 i'm ready to switch over to mpo are you guys ready yep yeah let's move sure. over to okay. mpo uh my on hole 18 uh that t was moved back and is uh is pretty darn far back there which year and uh whenever we moved it back to its current location that was what i think that was three years ago i think it was funny three story years with ago Dogs, well. but go on go on mm-hmm. You can tell that later. <laughs> so in 2020 and 2021, uh, it averaged 10% birdies. In 2022, it averaged 15% birdies. And on the final day, overall 2022, on the final day, it averaged 21% birdies, which mm. is kind of amazing. Uh, my question is that that hole for me, that hole was designed for two players. And it, it's the two people that are winning on the final day. And the question is, is it valid? I've had I've had some players uh, each of the last three years say that hole that tee is too far back. You can't go for the green. Uh, it's a boring four. 
Uh, and we've got this year, we we had 20% in the final round actually get the birdie, uh, which means that probably 40% were going for the birdie. Um, and I wanted to ask the question, uh, is it valid to design a tee pad for two players? I think before I can answer that, the question, and we had this discussion with Nate Sexton and Nate Dawson and myself, which is primarily them, but what what is the perfect hole uh, distribution? What is the perfect score distribution for a hole? Like what is golf or disc golf? What do we consider good scoring distribution? Is that 25% birdie, 25% bogey and worse, and then a 50% in the middle? Like we I, we genuinely don't know. Is there a consensus on what good scoring distribution should be for a good disc golf hole? Because then that I, I need to know that to answer your question of... I, I don't think you do, Terry. And the, and the reason is uh, because uh, on, a, on an average hole, yeah, you're going to want to have 20 to 40% birdies and you're going to want to have 20 to 40% bogeys and then some number in between, whatever, you know, all the rest are pars. You're, you're going to want to have a, a nice... Uh, a nice variety there. So some of them you'll have 20% birdies and some of them you have 40% birdies. And that, that's an okay range. Maybe even up to 50% if you have like a deuce or die kind of hole, like maybe 15 at Maple Hill. But you, when you get down to the last hole, then I, I feel like the number of birdies should be much smaller. You don't want to, in my opinion, you don't want the last hole to be a deuce or die. That, that would be silly because You've got the two best players at this event who are going to be elite level players who are playing hot, playing an easy hole. They're just going to both birdie. That's silly. So I think you need to challenge them. You need to say, okay, you guys have stepped up for 71 holes and you are the two men, period. Here you go. This is the hole. It is designed specifically for you in this situation. And that's that's how I view hole 18 is in this case it was designed entirely for Linus and uh and Corey and that was it. Uh Simon it was designed designed for Simon as well, but he had already finished so, so it was he had a different choice. Uh he had a different different gamesmanship going on. Yeah, but it's not designed for them if Simon's in the clubhouse with a three-stroke lead, then then the whole obviously is irrelevant. Correct. You know, yeah, so it, in that case, it doesn't matter how you design 18. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously 18 only matters if there's a, a one or two stroke difference. So at that point. I mean, I think the, the I can understand the player's complaint because I would, I would have to look at who birdied the hole. I mean, because so it feels absolutely. like... absolutely. It's a big, it's a big hole. It, it's, it, it's, it's a, you, you need a, a very good drive and a pretty good forehand probably. Now we can see some people get yeah. on with backhands, but primarily most players are taking a forehand at that second shot, depending on yeah. how close you are. I think Corey was close enough where he maybe could have taken a backhand at it because he was like 160 out, mm-hmm. but that's still a funny, yeah. that's still a funny angle. Um, you're, you're much more reliable with a forehand as far as the way the disc bends. But I mean, I guess I could, I, I could 
I could see a complaint as far as how many people take fours, because there are a lot, but I don't know. I like the hole personally. I, I think that in an age when our players are throwing further and further, it's going, I don't necessarily know if we need to back it up more, but I mean, Corey had a perfect drive and was 160 feet out. The the argument, there's nobody saying we should back it up more. No, no. Uh, no. <laughs> the, people are saying, let's move it back up to the current blue pad um, where Corey Ellis and Gannon Burr and, and all the guys in the million dollar shot are going to throw it up to the wall and have a have an eighty foot look at eagle. Yeah, um, yeah, but but you know, again, those are still the elite distance throwers. Everyone else is going to be the one sixty out where Corey is, and still have you know Corey was with the current pad, and still have a difficult yeah. approach getting on. Correct, but who are you on hole eighteen? What are you trying to do? That's where that's where I'm going. And that's so that's the question. Uh, am I trying to separate 20th from 21st or am I trying to separate first and second? Mm. I mean, I like it just as we say, it gives everybody a chance to make a decision on that particular hole. Mm. I don't know if it, well, it, I, I don't what, feel like it gives your weakest arms even a. No, I no, don't no, no, think no. there's, they even have, right? No, there's, and I I'm mean, not saying it should, but let's face it, okay. there's some arms out there that would have a hard time. I mean, they'd have to throw beyond their perfect second shot to still find I, it or no. I, I guess I mean, it's, it's 640 feet play slightly uphill from that T pad. You, you throw it for, if you can throw most of our pros can throw 400 feet, 450 yeah, feet. Yeah, and that leaves you. Yeah. Two, it, would, it would require. Yeah. It, if mean, you can throw 400, 420 feet, uh, it would require a very good second shot to get yeah. the birdie. Very low percentage, but if you're in that situation, it gives you, you got to go for it, and yeah. and you have a chance. Yeah, and, and that's that's the goal. Have you put any thought into Corey's decision? Like, I think everybody sits there and thinks at 160 feet, should he have gone for that for the win versus playing of for course. the course versus he, he playing for, for the it. playoff? I I agree. I think he kind I've of given I've given it no thought. It was a gimme. He had to go for it. <sighs> It was a gimme decision, not a gimme shot. Yeah. I mean, I can see the other way. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that if we start, if, if the playoff starts at 18, there's not a chance he's probably getting to that position again in the playoff. Or, or maybe more importantly, what, where is he going to find an advantage in the playoff against Simon Lazat? Right? Because they're going to 18. They're both going to have to match shot for shot and just replay that hole yeah. again. They're going to play 18 and then one was the thought, right? Yeah. Right. 18 and yep. I mean, so, so, I mean, arguably, you could say Simon doesn't have a strong forehand right now. Is Simon <laughs> going to go for that? Going to go for that green? I don't believe he went for it most. You know, does Corey, and uh, granted, is Corey even thinking about this? But this is all hindsight 2020 stuff. Corey being one of the best circle two putters in our game. Did it make more sense for him to lay it up to the, to the drop zone area where it used to be the drop zone. I think it's OB now and give himself a 60 footer for the win versus giving himself a 60 footer for the, the, you know, the The, ultimately the push, ultimately the push. I I, I can understand. I, I can understand both scenarios, whether or not he should or shouldn't. I could agree with, I don't think there's a wrong decision. Honestly, had he, had he gone for that 60 footer, for the for a putt to win it, I could look at that and go, well, yeah, he's the best circle two putter we have in the sport. 
but giving yourself an opportunity so, to win it. I uh, Corey Corey's tough. one of the one of the Corey is one of the players that I I personally don't know very well, and um, so I I can't speak to his game or his what he was thinking. Um, I believe if he went and stood in that spot uh, nine times out of ten, he's going to throw that on the green. Uh, and I, I think he's <laughs> I, I would take that bet. I don't know if it'd be nine. I mean I think I think he's getting there seven. I but, think eight. <laughs> All right. But I mean in general it's a higher right. percentage that he's making it on than than he's not. Because and, and, and in that I scenario take, there's a ton and, of pressure. Absolutely. But I would take an eight out of ten chance to to avoid a playoff and and win outright right now. I'm I'm gonna take that every time. Mm-hmm. Um okay. And and having said that, there is a ton of pressure. Um, I will tell us a, a wonderful story. This is one of my favorite stories because it ends with me winning. Um, <laughs> oh, spoilers, I bro! Had... <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> ah, Steve, you're um, not learning. Back in the day, um, my, the first NIFA tournament that I ever won, I had a two-stroke lead going on the final hole, and I had about a 25-foot putt with water behind. And uh, the smart play is to lay it up. And uh, and I said, you know what? Screw all these people. I want to just bang this thing home and I'm going to, I'm going to win this tournament. And my arm was lead and I was so nervous and I put that thing as hard as I can. I made it about 18 feet. And, uh, and, and the, the guy who uh, I had a one stroke, a two stroke advantage on said smart play. And I hit my seven footer and I made it in, but I, he didn't know I was throwing that disc as hard as I could and it didn't go anywhere. Mm. So, um, Pressure is a real thing, and and it some sometimes it bites. Yeah, sometimes it bites you. Sometimes it buys you frozen dinners. You there? He's here. Yeah, I'm here. You're back. It, you, you, you were just saying pressure is a real a thing, and sometimes it bites you. Yeah, and then I mean that's it. That's what okay. it came down to. And then we saw, I mean, we saw Simon waiting for. 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes in yeah. the scoring room. We were lucky enough to have a camera watching him and Paul interact and kind of a little nervous energy in there, but it was... So one of the things that I love about uh, the spectators at Maple Hill is if Corey had thrown that on the green or, or if Linus had, had gotten the birdie, it didn't, either one, um, it, but if they had gotten the birdie and gotten the win, the fans would have erupted. They would have loved it. Um, yes, Simon is the hometown favorite. Yes, in their heart of hearts, people probably wanted Simon to win. But if Corey hits that, I'm getting goosebumps right now because I'm I'm I can I could feel the electricity when that shot was being made. And if that shot went on, there was going to be a. Re- ridiculous eruption people want to see success uh especially the the, the maple hill uh spectators and it was um I, I believe simon wanted him to throw that on like every everybody wanted that shot to go on and everybody wanted to cheer for that success um when it didn't happen they were equally potentially even more but equally as excited to cheer for simon uh coming out of the the scoring shed and, and being crowned champion but uh, it's it's nice knowing that no matter how it went down, there there wasn't going to be silence. It was like people. Simon's the hometown champion, hometown hero. But if Corey beats him, 
we are cheering our heads off for Corey. Yeah, and, and even as Johnny just had round, the final round pulled up, I I look at Simon's scorecard. Uh, is that the final round? This is the third and final round. Yeah. You look at Simon's scorecard, and what I, I find kind of crazy um, is that he doesn't birdie. Yeah, of course, he gets 11 birdies out there. Very impressive. But he doesn't get hole 15, and he doesn't right. get hole 5. Two of the easier holes on the course. Now, obviously, he picked up some other bonuses in there. I think I kind of consider 13 a little bit of a bonus. Um, yeah. 16 is definitely a bonus, but it's interesting to look at a scorecard like that to see him, uh, you know, go 18 under in the last two rounds to shoot two over. And as the UDIS <laughs> probability chart had him going into Sunday morning, they had him as a 3%, you know, probable right. chance of winning. So again, I'll go back to the numbers as much as I know you love numbers. What, what do you think of the, the, one of the other new additions to disc in the probability chart and and how much stock should someone like me as a commentator put into those uh i would put a decent amount of stock into them i think they add to the depth of the story significantly um when simon is at three percent to start the round and through six holes you notice it's bumped up to 18 percent i i think that's a really fun story i personally think that's a very fun story um, and, uh, that, that win percentage chance, uh, I, I look at that thing on, in football games. I look at that in baseball games. It's, it's a really fun stat to look at. It has, uh, well, it's all my guess, but it has, it has no impact on what actually is going to happen. Uh, it's just predictive. Um, but you're, we're, we're ending, we're looking at one data point. You're, you're rolling a one and a 100 sided die it could come up a one. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're just, we're doing one event and that, that really, the, the uh, win percentage doesn't have any impact on that one event, but it, it's, it, I think it helps build the story. Um, and obviously most times that 3% isn't going to pay off, but in this one case, you never have it. You don't have any idea. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty incredible. I don't even know if I looked or saw Simon's percentage that morning, and it was pointed out later that it had started at three percent. And uh, I mean, obviously, that's why that's why we play the game, right? That's why all the so fantasy one numbers, interesting all the stats thing, don't matter, it, right? One interesting thing about the percentages, in my opinion, um, as uh, as as Linus and Corey were teeing off on eighteen, they. I, on the DGN broadcast, it actually had the percentages in the bottom right. And it had Simon at 35. I, I think Corey was 33 and Linus was 32 percent chance of winning. And I thought that's amazing uh, because I'm assuming that they're calculating how they normally do on 18. There's there's all sorts of stats. I don't know if they throw pressure or stress on that in that statistic, but I never would have given Simon the uh, the the nod on that you got two big arms who if either of them birdie he doesn't win there's one of them I would have I would have given both of them a forty percent chance and given Simon a twenty percent chance um, but clearly they well who knows what the odds should have been who knows how it would play out but um, it, it was it, I was surprised to see that Simon was the favorite on the tee. Um, and I'll go ahead and say that after the drives, the, the percentages didn't change. So it isn't shot by shot, it's hole by hole. 
It is. It's so that, re, it's that, yeah. There's a whole, they've got a whole article where they they're basically simulating it like twenty or thirty thousand times each for the hole or holes that are like it, similar distance, and you can look at the previous rounds and see that Corey and Linus, none of them birdied eighteen, not any round. Oh wow! So that's probably okay. why that's probably why the percentages were what they were is that they were they were less likely to birdie and. I guess if you're less likely to birdie, you're more likely to par, but there is that slight chance you're going to take a bogey, as unfortunately we saw oh. with both of them. So, so I'm going to I'm going to say that stat didn't didn't take into account the fact that it was the final hole and someone's going to push. That's what I was just yeah, thinking. Is like clearly you, you know you you could have a great round going, and you get to 18, you're just a little out of position, and you're like, yeah, I, this is a no brainer. I'm laying this up, and I'm mm-hmm. going to get out of here today with a par. And not sweat it, knowing you know. So yeah, I mean, for the it, it can't you take in, Yeah, it can't take in every factor into account. I think it just looks a lot at at previous scores and history <laughs> and sim- similarities. Um, so, I mean, you you put Paul Macbeth yeah. in that percentage, and I bet you he's at like fifty five or sixty percent to win because he's birdied the hole a few times. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Uh, it, while we're at it, this just came to mind. Come on, Terry. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Josh's birthday from UDisc, one of the co-founders Happy in, uh, of UDisc. May or may not be out there listening. He should be doing much better things on his birthday. But I believe today, it was either today or yesterday, I believe it was today, uh, is in fact Josh's birthday from UDisc. So happy birthday, Josh. Uh, real quick, I do I do just yesterday. want to kind of go through some of the MPO. Simon Lazat obviously wins. In a non-playoff wait, from the what? chase card. Ah, I was waiting yeah. for post-production. Uh, uh, wait, I have a... I have a question for you guys. So yeah, go for I, it. I believe Simon won. I, we can start. But um, regarding Josh's birthday, you said it might be yesterday. Do you mean Tuesday? Well, for you. Now, he's... It's still... Where is he these days? It's still, is he, is he what out time is here? it? It's 11.41 yeah, your time. Yeah, it's only 11.41 your time. your time. And he might oh, be so listening still... live because they watch live from time to time. Some <laughs> okay. of the U-Disc fellers. So it's still today. It's, it's still, still today, today, but I think it was, in fact, yesterday, if I recall. You know, my brain, I travel. Um, I believe it was yesterday. Um, okay. Either way, very recently, it's, it was his birthday. Second place, Corey so Simon Lazat won. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, tied for third, Gannon Byrne, Paul McBeth. Gannon obviously having a uh, that rough hole 14, um, kind of taking Six, the five. 16? Uh, no, he, uh, oh. he he parred 16. He had he, he bogey, double bogeyed 14. Wait, didn't he oh, kick wait. OB on? 16? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking at the. I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong round. In round bad. two, he double. In round two, he double bogeyed. He, he, you're right. He double bogeyed 16 in the final round. I was looking at the wrong round. Um, it was round two, hole 14 that knocked him out of it. It yes. was. Had he not bogeyed? Yeah. He, I mean, that's the hole. I, I mean, if you think about it, 16. What's the difference between 16 in the final round and 14 in the in the other round? 14 is an There's easier no hole difference. than 16. So, well, I mean, I, hey, is that I, true? I, I would think so. He just blurts it out. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's Terry, look at the numbers, folks. The way I look at it, sixteen. Oh man, here we are it, doing math on the uh, air. So sixteen average point yeah. zero nine above par on point round three. Zero nine point zero nine above par. So it played at three point zero nine, just barely yeah. above par. That's sixteen, and hole fourteen played at negative point zero nine. Wow. 14, I mean, just based on the shot, 14 is an easier shot. You throw it off to the left, you end up in the woods. 90% of the time, you're laying it up in front of the basket and tapping in. 
Like, here's the crazy part. I feel part. like there's some OB on 14. There is, but you can easily avoid the OB if, you're, if, you're, if you play it so, really safe. Terry, look at those stats for Friday. It, what's crazy to me is 31%, 31% birdies on 14, and on 16, just 17%. But clearly, on 16, if if you're not birdieing, you're probably parring, so to speak. Yeah. On, four, on 14, if you're not birdieing, there's a good chance. Well, no. Yeah, I don't no. know. No, I think four, scroll back down to 14 and 16 once. Yeah. 16, you've got a much higher bogey rate on 16 because it's much, it's, bogey versus 14 like your your mm. your chance to bogey 16 is much greater than your chance to bogey 14 see and i i i guess i, I guess i just maybe a lot more people are landing safely yeah. bailing out yeah. than than finding it's, actual water i would assume correct. more people would be finding water no I guess not, well i think case. it's easier like if i just imagine myself walking up to that hole my thought is keep <laughs> it in bounds dummy go left yeah like whatever you do yeah. don't go right throw something really stable hole 16 i walk up to that hole and go "Ooh, that's awfully tight that's a long tunnel like i can i'm hit, not hitting that no matter what I, I do. yeah i could hit a tree and kick off any direction and there's ob depending on where you go wow on so back on round one steve to answer you even though you probably yeah, pulled it up i just looked 14 played at 3.16 16 played at 3.18 still harder so <laughs> Technically, fourteen played easier, and I guess since we're here, let's and, check round and two. Round two was three point one two versus three point one five. It's so whole fourteen plays marginally, but razor thin, <laughs> slightly easier than sixteen. So I guess the follow up to that is that obviously surprises you. Is that what you're telling us, Steve? It does indeed. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like the kind of like the Wisconsin electorate. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, you're, you're, you're not, you're not wrong there. Uh, tied for it's very, very close. <laughs> uh, yes. Ugh. Um, fifth place, Linus Carlson, who obviously had that very, he, he was in a chance to win it going into 18 at a crazy, he, he just shanked the drive, yeah. hits the tree on the left yeah. and then goes for a, the, the, you have to, at that point, go for the something to get up there. Hits the stump right. on the roller. And at that point it was, it was over for Linus, uh, Tied for sixth place, a three-way tie with Kyle Klein, who we like didn't see all weekend. He kind of snuck up right. from like a fourth card or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vino Makala and Ricky Wysocki. And then finally, uh, we'll round out your top ten, Jake Hebenheimer and Matt Bell. That's it. So I had a very good conversation with Vino, who I had never met before also. And um, and I walked up to he was in the pro shop and I walked up to him and shook his hand. I said, you're a very good disc golfer. <laughs> and he said, thank you. And uh, and I said, let me know if there's anything about this course that you think we should uh, improve. And he said, I guess you didn't see my blog where I said that this is the best course in the United States. Damn. And uh, I, I said, thank you very much. And uh, I said, Europe is not in the United States. And he said, that's correct. <laughs> he confirmed that. That's um, <laughs> in the control room. We call Vino the teapot because of his putting style. He stands there, he waits, and then he puts his hand on his back and he lifts his hand out. So he looks like a teapot. And all of us in the control room, I think maybe except for Mo, Mo chuckles, but we all go, I'm a little teapot. And then he putts every time. It's just mm. unless he's straddling, then it's a little different. Then he has to kind of put his hand on his hip 
but if he's got a, a normal putt, a staggered putt, it always looks like he's just waiting to do I'm a little teapot. So that's his nickname in the control room for uh, for everybody. That's yeah. our, our, our inside scoop. Do you believe what you're missing out on in the control room here, Steve? I know. It's not. Uh, it's way more fun with a lot I, of people. I do believe it. <laughs> Which is I why believe... we don't stream the control room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I've got Wait, this little camera so here. So did anybody that's... comment on... On the whole 18, should it be designed just for the top two guys or should it be designed for everybody? I mean, Did anybody comment on that? Not really. Uh, they were just talking about, well, some people do want it shorter because then they want more people going for it. And then I think they said that grows the sport. I, I, I lost the connection there. But, mm. okay. um, yeah, somebody did mention that they just basically thinks it should be shorter. Okay. But then the Deacon... H87 said, I like the idea of forcing the leaders to do something coming down the stretch, but if it's 50 feet closer, you force everyone to go for it because the upshot will be more than doable and drama ensues. Well, 50 feet closer, Corey Ellis had a 116-foot shot, which is, I, I think we'd all agree, is 9 out of 10. Yeah. I'll give oh. you that. <laughs> uh, no, That's I, a jump I, putt at that point. Uh, for a lot somebody of else says hole 18 is perfect people need to stop crying and learn how to golf how golf should I, be played it's not about an easy par four because those holes are bad so i i find the term perfect <laughs> funny because we have seen so many people be like no maple hill's perfect and they said this eight years ago I was going to say we've changed and, it every year. And Maple Hill changes every single year. Uh, Mo and I had this discussion uh, about hole four, which he has said has never changed. Correct. Mm. That and, is true. There's been Mandos or is, not. Correct. And, and then there's been sidewalls. Sidewalls. And then the green changed. And then behind the basket changed whether mm-hmm. or not you could go OB. Exactly. Yeah, holes four changed uh, all but the time. I, I think his point was the pin position hasn't changed on sure. hole four. But it's been And the T hasn't changed, and we didn't move any Correct. of the trees. Correct. But uh, but it's, you know, we, we argue that these holes are perfect. You know, I, I didn't like the change on hole two. Yeah, so talk about that. Oh, I was going right. to go there. With, with the, the rocks. With the rock wall. I like the fact that players oh. can go at it with a roller. And we did see Matt Bell still go with the roller and make it through the woods. So uh, so I thought you were talking about the change like eight years ago when we moved the pin back. No, I like that change. Or the T, or the T back. Like, we moved that back. I didn't like the first it's... change. I liked the second one. I definitely didn't like the third one, but this fourth one I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us I'm, about the rocks. Sounds on, like a two, two, one, and one. Two. Well, you know, I'm just kidding. I have no clue. So I know the rocks uh, on two. So those the rocks on two. So number one, did you notice that the fairway on hole 18 did not have any of those huge rocks on the up, upper corner near the drop zone? No, I didn't particularly notice that. Those rocks are all gone. Where'd they go? That was whole Did they get two. up and rock away? <laughs> <laughs> so we we had a guy come with a huge claw and he uh I actually asked him, I said, How how heavy is that rock? And I said, Is that about two thousand pounds? He said, That's eight thousand pounds. And I said, How do you know that? And he said, Because my vehicle can lift eight thousand pounds. And this is right on the edge. Hmm. Like he was like, as he lifted it up, like the back end comes up and he's got a like, it was very exciting. Hmm. Uh, 
Probably Another insurance well. policy was written before that one. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> insurance. Um, so, but uh, so we moved. I needed somewhere to put all those rocks, and I've always wanted the green of hole two to to be flat. And so those rocks are the beginning of that green becoming flat. Okay. Uh, so over time, we will continue to build up that wall, and then it'll it'll fill in. And this is probably a, a five year plan. Um, but then that'll fill in with dirt, and we'll put grass on it. And then when you land in the creek, you you'll have a, a five foot wall in front of you. You've got to either get up on the green, or, or you're, you're you've got a really hard shot at the birdie. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, the the thought was that you just did that to take away the roller option. No, not at all. I don't. I don't care about rollers. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Hmm. Uh, yeah. No, this had nothing to do with rollers. This was uh, a long term plan towards making that green beautiful. Yeah, you should have told me all this like a week ago. Would have been helpful on the broadcast. Was, well, wait. Did did you was not I do on your the research? podcast? Did 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 you I, not call Steve Dodge a week before and just have a, a good talk about the changes? I mean, you, that's your job as a commentator. What are you doing in your off time? I was practicing my four hundred foot hole in one twenty five dollars shot that I had lined up. It's not quite the same. Um, okay, so no other significant change. Oh, there is another significant change that I don't feel like was the case last year. Well, it was much lower and uh, less pronounced in my opinion in that there's, there's a backstop. There's a wall on the back of eight and why people that that's inbounds. I think that's maybe the most crucial part that's inbounds. We should never see a person come up short. Like I get it, you're trying to get it as close to the basket as possible. Oh no! But you should no, never wrong, come up short. Is that right? That is not right. You're wrong. Uh, you can you can scoot underneath that wall. Hmm. Really? There's a space in there. There's big spaces. Good. Yeah. Could I fit there? I don't know if <laughs> not that big. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they. Could you fit there? Yeah, easy. <laughs> I just, I, I did not, it, I, we heard a bunch of bank shots. We heard it hitting the wall, skipping up, hit the wall, maybe on the fly once or twice. Like I didn't, I didn't realize there was a space underneath the wall. So you're saying you could land yeah. and you could, if you're just coming in slow enough, you could just scoot right out underneath the backside of the wall. Scoot is the right word. Scoot. Yeah. Cause you're not really skipping at that point. You're sliding. You might, you might boot scooting. Boogie. Boogie. Underneath it. Okay. Yeah. So you want to land it on that green. You do not want to rely on that wall. Um, okay. Relying on that wall is, is you're, you're, you're hoping to get lucky. It's a fool's errand, Terry. Um, so Adam, I, who I think was errand. out there on eight says eight's wall should go all the way to the ground. We talked about putting umbrellas to stop the disc from going OB. <laughs> uh, I'm just reading from what the chat says. But, um, but, but I tried that last week. It didn't work so well. But so you're saying That's by design, idea. it does not go all the way to the bottom. And now, and is that wall out there permanently? Like if I went out there in a month, will that wall still be there? So, yes, it will still be there. 
Um, I think that I agree with Adam. And I think that we might build that wall all the way to the ground. We did not build it all the way to the ground yet because we're not 100% sure on that. Um, But uh, and, And surprisingly, I haven't heard any pushback from the players about the wall not going all the way down. Um, if it goes so, all the way, to but the, the ground, reason that wall—if it goes all the way to the ground, the reason there, aren't, that aren't we just going to see players attack it? Yeah, I don't like that. So, but the reason that wall uh, was built in the first place is um, the Pro Tour has a really good policy, which is that the course assets, like the the walls that they build on the course, the advertising walls cannot be OB walls. Yep. And uh, and I think that's a good policy because those are just built the week before. It's not the way the course is, no, any course is normally played. We've seen things yeah. kick them and move them and they change throughout the weekend. Yeah. So wherever those walls are, if there's OB near them, the OB is, you know, a, a, a yard or a meter off of it or so. And um, unless the wall is permanent, they don't want to allow advertising walls to be OB. And so I said, well, I want a permanent wall there then because that the goal of that wall is to be the OB and logicking through this. Therefore, it should I agree with Adam again. It should go all the way to the ground. But right now it does not go all the way to the ground. So uh, your thought about people just running that thing nice and hard and low is is not correct yet. Well, I, I guess I just generally mean it, if it's coming in hot, there's a certain degree in which it may skip up and just bank right off the wall, you know. Yeah, that's and true. And, you just and really I saw this. Be short. I saw this. You shouldn't be short. There's water there. Yeah. Um, I saw this skip up over the wall. Um, so mm. that that can definitely happen. I didn't see anything do the uh, the Johnny V boot scoot. Mm. Okay, um, so maybe one of the as we start to wrap up here because I think we could go all day. Uh, of course, the tour points champion. You had the MVP uh, Open champions crowned, obviously, and then we had the tour. I'm points. sorry, the name is so long for you, Terry. I know, I know. <laughs> you you barreled through well, it. Well, I'm thinking the Maple Hill Open. MVP, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I finally have it down, kind of. So kind of. we then also see that this year, uh, final event on the Pro Tour, which, again, feels weird to say, well, it's the final event. of It's not the regular season. It's the final playoff event, but yet we go into a championship. But anyway, when you originally had designed the Pro Tour championship to be the, the culminating event, there's, I think since day one, and I think the internet proved it yet again today, since day one, there's been a little confusion about what those titles are and what they mean. As in, there's an, a final event winner at the Pro Tour Championship, but there's also an overall points leader. And I know I'm saying Correct. those, and it doesn't sound too hard, but to a lot of people, it's confusing, and I understand that. What was your it's thought a, process it's a season. There? It's a season. There's a season champ. And there's a, a, a Super Bowl champ uh, or the tour championship champion. So there's there's two distinct champions. Um, my brother's a big uh, a big fan of soccer. Mm-hmm. And I 
I learn a lot from his his enjoyment of the game, and I'm under the impression that uh, and soccer buffs can correct me if I have heard him wrong, but I'm under the impression that there is someone who has the best record, and that is the season champion, mm. and then they have the playoffs, and there is the playoff the the, the I guess the playoff champion or the you know the person who wins the cup as it were. But the season champion is recognized as a significant uh, victory, as well as the overall the the, the winner of the playoff. And so, in my opinion, uh, the season champion should be um, exalted, as well as the person who wins the, the finals. Well, this is the Ricky discussion. Uh, to some degree, and I wasn't necessarily just trying to, to to dig into what Ricky has been talking about, but just in general, I was looking for your yeah your your designer, your thought process to why because it rightfully so it confuses a ton of people when it comes down to you know well yeah you won it's the Disc Golf Pro Tour points points title championship like see you you're the season champion yeah you're you're, you're the points champion you're not necessarily season. the yeah. You're, you're you're not you're not necessarily the pro tour uh championship champion. I know. I know. I but personally would yeah. I would say that the person with the most points is the season champion. Yeah. I, I, calling it the points champion, I, that sounds that sounds silly. Um but to me, uh, I I would say it's the, they're the season champion, uh not that mm-hmm. it matters very much. But yeah. uh so I think that those are both things that are worth celebrating. I agree. Oh, having having said that, um, Simon won four Pro Tour events and got sixth place. And it makes me think maybe first place should get some more points. Um, I know that Simon is very inconsistent. He, he What he said was, I get first or 30th. So there's <laughs> it's 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 rewarding consistency over victories, but it feels like maybe victories should matter a little bit more in in the season champion. Uh, but that's that's a decision for somebody else to discuss. But Simon um, also played poorly, very poorly, at one of our playoff events at GMC where yeah. he earned not very many points, so to speak, and those can't be dropped. Those are automatically well, added, Oh, that's added right. On. So right. there's there's a premium and, to playing well the last two events and he pl- already and he played poorly at Champions Cup which is a major where you get like point d- uh, uh point and a oh, half or okay. double points so like okay the, so maybe it is yeah maybe it is about but, right then yeah but I mean if we were just right, the main, yeah yeah if we were just talking DGPT events then I think there's definitely discussion I would have to look and I'm not going to ever at uh how he did without the majors but correct his yeah. His 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 major count was not good. He did not play well at the majors, from what I I gather. Yeah. And you disc, if you're listening, I I know what you're gonna say. Give me a left and right scroll bar. And if you don't mind, I would kind of like it if the most recent event was first. That's iffy though. I might be unique there. But give me a left and right scroll you know bar in the standings. Do you know what you disc needs? Um. More suggestions from us? <laughs> That's you know what you should do? Yeah. My favorite words in disc golf after I gave them to Steve well, earlier. When you're looking at the standings, because um, you get your best 
I don't even know what it is. Eight eight elite series and your best three silver series and and all of the majors, right? Something like that. Yeah. So I feel like they need to have something that indicates how many of those events they they have. Like uh, yeah. if you're looking at this, like uh, Kristen's on top and Paige is second, but it's possible that like if Paige has only played seven elite series and and Kristen's played eight, then the next one for Kristen is actually a replacement and the next one for Paige is an addition. And I think that's an important thing to notate because while it, and obviously this isn't the way it actually is, but while in, in that case, Paige would actually have a significant advantage after the points of the next event because they're being added as opposed to replaced. So yeah, it, I think it, those when are, I look at, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think those are all really I, I agree, and I think it would be great. I think it's uh, th- there's something to the programming of elite series versus silver series, and then the majors, all of them having the different point totals, and then which one are they playing in or not versus which ones get dropped. Yeah, I, it's crazy, and there's there's a good reason why within the the broadcast booth we have very much said like uh, we're not getting into these scenarios of well if so and so does this and so and so does that but he get like I'm not about to try and do that math if somebody really smart you know writes up that that code in those uh equations great I'll read them but I'm not about to try and figure it out cuz they're impossible it it is very hard to figure out and uh sometimes on my screen I'll just put like little stickers on there but then when I scroll the stickers don't go up and down with it <sighs> and can like, you just so fix that touch screen? You need a touchscreen monitor. A, That'll fix it. <laughs> but the stickers are still just on there. Yeah. Well, Not if it's touchscreen. You use Microsoft Post-It? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you talked to your friend Clippy <laughs> with Microsoft? <laughs> are you trying to write a resume? <laughs> yes. I am now, damn it. <laughs> with all the dumb shit I did today. Uh, anyway. Uh Flipping back real quick, uh, of course, Disc Golf Pro Tour wrapping up with then Kristen Tatar, the first person not named, uh, you know, uh, Pierce or Allen or Holcomb to have won this and clearly just destroying everybody in the last few events specifically, in addition to playing well throughout the year, but just really uh, blazing past everybody in the last few events. What does that say for Disc Golf to have? A woman from Estonia as our season champion on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. What does that say about the the Pro Tour and about Disc Golf in general? So this was the seventh Pro Tour season. Um, It's really, really exciting to watch this, watch the Pro Tour come into its own. Um. Back in the early days, I, I was I did an interview um, before, before the MVP Open, and we talked about back in the early days when people were like, "Would you rather win an NT or win a Pro Tour?" And obviously, in sixteen it was an NT, and in seventeen it was probably an NT, and in eighteen maybe it was we had some parity, and in nineteen it was a Pro Tour. Um, the Pro Tour has has come, come in my opinion, has uh, gone through its youth and has has started it's life as an adult. And, uh, I think Kristen is a representation of that. We've, we've successfully gotten large enough so that the best players in Europe will come over and compete. Um, and hopefully 
next year, uh, 2023, we will have a whole cadre of Europeans over here competing for titles on, on the men's and women's side. Um, and it, I, I, if, if the pro tour is a, was a, a person, I, I think we've, we've gotten to be about 18 or 19 years old. We're still going to make plenty of mistakes. Um, but, but we've got a lot of energy and a lot of excitement and we're just driving forward. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ridiculously excited. It's so much fun. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to sit down with Jesse on the couch and watch TGN and, and listen to Terry and listen to Nate Doss and listen to Nate Sexton and, and all the crew. Um, and, uh, and it's, it, it brings me uh, endless joy. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch this continue to bloom and be ridiculously exciting pretty much week in and week out. Uh, I don't know how the players do it. Uh, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I got to witness how they set up the courses and, uh, they're, they're becoming a machine. Um, they, they know what they're doing and, uh, the future looks very bright for the pro tour. I'm excited. What would you say is next? Like what, what is either needed or is just, uh, yeah. Or, or what will just come naturally or what's needed or where, where does the bar get raised next? In terms of needed, yeah, I mean, what 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 would be on your whether it's a a wish list or a you know or a vision? What percentage from day of one? what percentage of people have cable television um, needed? I I don't know what's needed. Um, we have DGN, and I can if I'm I'm a PDG member, so I can pay six bucks a month, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, and watch all the disc golf that I want. Um, I think over time the broadcast will continue to improve. Uh, I can't imagine it continuing to improve at the rate that it has been improving. Um, back four years ago, 2018, we were happy to cover the lead card. We spliced in the women. We, we had to have ads at certain times because people walked down fairways. Like it was, it was a very structured program because we had, three cameras or maybe two like it was. And, and now I, I clearly there's at least four, maybe six cameras out there. Um, I can't eight. see it getting eight, seriously, eight cameras, <laughs> eight cameras. If you include the commentator, which kind of counts as a camera, but there's usually seven, there's usually three on the lead, two on the chase, one as a roamer, the, Sometimes we have the, I think it's called FX6, which is like our slow-mo cam, or a drone, okay. depending on what's going on. And then the commentator technically takes oh up a gosh. camera slot. Eight cameras. That is uh, yep. that is very, very exciting. I remember, you're right, we do have, we, we always had cameras on the commentators because we never knew a, you know what's going yep. on in the course. Just cut to the commentators. We showed them a lot more back in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's we did. I, the petitions are to be a commentator. wild <laughs> to, get, to get back. More to the booth. No, they're not. More to the booth. Yeah. yeah. Power to the power to the Terry. Um, what do we need? I don't know what we need. <laughs> I'm not the man. Uh, I'm content with where we are. This is exactly what I wanted. And um, obviously, the next step is to get on broadcast television. But I'm not in any hurry. I think it's important to keep building our foundation 
and in my opinion, let them come to us. We don't we don't need to go to them. We're we're good where we are. Um, the longer it takes for us to get on broadcast television, the bigger our base is, and the more the more strength we have in negotiations with broadcast television. So, I'd say take our time. Don't don't be in a rush to take the next step because it's a really big step. Do you, in speaking of big steps, do you feel like there's a world where FPOs and MPOs are I'll, I'll call them a separate tour, but maybe that's not the exact phrasing, but they're they're either at different parks or different weekends or whatever the case may be. Do you see them either splitting or do you see, yeah, or, or any other vision? Like, do you see a world where, hey, our FPO field, because it continues to grow or wants to grow, and we have 80 women at every event, right now we have 40 to 50 Sometimes could be 60, 70, or 80. Do you see FPO either needing or, or being viable to have FPO have a different tour? Or separated, maybe is a better word. I remember three or four years ago talking with a lot of the, the women on tour and asking them, at what rate should we grow the women's side of the the um the women's side of, the, of, of these events. So at the time it was 140 men and, and 24 women. And now it's, it's 120 men and 60 women. And should we just try to get down to 90 and 90 and call it? Uh, or like, what's the right thing to do and how fast do you do that? These are really, really good questions. Um, it, feels to me, I'm now, I have nothing to do with the management of the pro tour. I have nothing to do with, any of the decision making that we should make that very very clear. Neither do we, um, so that's yeah, good. But, yeah, it's <laughs> along for the ride. But it it feels to me uh, that the women are not not quite ready to to go out on their own, um, and I I feel like the uh, the draw of having the women eyeballs and the men eyeballs um, all in one bucket encourages larger non-endemic partners to come on board. If they were split, uh, I think we'd, we'd lose some of that opportunity. Um, having said that, at, at some point, ho- hopefully it'll be obvious that it needs to happen. Um, I always said that I don't want to hire shuttle drivers until it's obvious it has to happen. This year, it, it's, it's now obvious. So I suspect the same thing is going to happen with the women. It will become obvious when that split needs to happen. Um, someone will have seen it a year earlier and someone might not quite see it, but for the powers that be, it'll, it'll be obvious. I would just say that I hope that they stay in the same area, town, region. Um, I would be sad if the men were playing Maple Hill and the women were playing De La Viega. Like that that would make me sad because I I like the energy that comes to a town when we're all together, um, but uh, you know who, who knows I'm 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 an old idiot so who knows? No, I mean I just think of the logistics of running two separate tours and what needs to happen as far as I mean imagine having to run two Maple Hills or MVP Opens or 
You know, that because, you know, we're going to want one for FPO and one for MPO. And if they're not the same time, you're doubling your resources. Twice the volunteers. You've got parking things again, like well, expenses. And, if, and that, if we can stay as a playoff event with a smaller field, then maybe uh, maybe at the playoff event, the, the men and women can be together and that can be a celebration. Sure. Um, but I get I get your point. Yeah. And uh, if if you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to Akron, Ohio. The, the tour has a stop there, and the, I just picked that out of the air. I don't know anything. But um, then, you know, the men play at Akron A and the women play at Akron B. Mm-hmm. And and hopefully, they're, in, in my opinion, they should all – I'd love us all to be together. I, I don't if, – if they uh, if this ever happened, yeah, I'd want to make sure that there can be a players' party where, where everybody's together. Yeah, I, I don't think – gosh – I kind of see this our our growth as starting. I don't say plateauing, but it's not growing at the rate it was. And I don't right. see us needing to split tours seven, ten years at best. If, I was going to say six to six to eight was my guess. Like if if we continue at at a decent growth rate, like we could plateau off. We could spike again. I don't know why we would or anything like that. Anything is possible, but. It, you know, I just think of all the logistics of broadcast and tour and and fundraising and things like that of what would have to happen, and it's mind blowing to me. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's mind blowing to me. They've got two trailers now, leapfrogging each other, setting up like they, we started setting up the course before GMC began, mm-hmm. and uh, or no, I, I guess it was Friday during GMC. But I, I was so excited that we could do that, and. They do so much work. Uh, we we have a lot of staff to help, but uh, the work that the Pro Tour puts in is is phenomenal. They, they do a great job. Is there, you know, and I, for many years, Maple Hill had happened before GMC. This year, obviously, happening after. Is there? Do we feel like that's going to be a constant conversation, or is this new? Is that just timing because of certain things that need to happen? up at GMC with fall fast, like what, what's that conversation like? And do you see obviously next year throws things out the window being that the world championships are going to be taking place there in uh, early the, September, but schedule is about to be announced by the way. Oh, well, so again, next right year is already an anomaly, but uh, sometime should, this week, should we, in, should future, we wait? in future years though, is there something to be said about you being the final playoff season you know event is that is that something you're you're hoping to lock in i i think it was like 2005 or six or seven when we became an nt for the first time and from the very beginning i have always said i will i will hold my event in april and i will hold my event in september whatever works best for the schedule i i feel like the tour is uh larger than any particular event well, obviously that's true, but um, and so I'm more than happy to to have the MVP open at whatever time works best for the tour. If the tour decides, hey, we want to be in in the Northeast in in the in the summer because it's nice and cool, um, that's great. We'll, we'll be happy to do that. Um, if they decide that they want to have the playoffs on the West Coast, I'm I'm fine with that too. Um, okay. I'm. When it comes to when we are, I'm I'm a team player. I'm we were very honored to be uh, a playoff event this first time that they had playoff events. 
I look forward to seeing what the playoff events develop into so that they have maybe some a little special flair to them. Uh, maybe the winner of a playoff event gets gets a you know gets an extra buy in the in the tour championship or something. I, I don't have any idea what what could develop so that it's a little more special. Um, but we're we're happy to be whenever. Uh, we we just look forward to being a part of the pro tour for a long time. Okay, I would it would be really interesting to see the tour path change almost reverse the way sure. we are just have vegas towards the end of the year one year and then kansas you know ddo isn't in april or may it's in august which august in kansas sounds miserable but it to change it up just i mean because i mean just in general but you know nobody wants to be in yeah. vegas in uh, you know july so but just you know, see a West Coast swing towards the end of the season and start over on the East Coast. I would be it would be fun to kind of reverse course once in a great while. But I understand I, I logistically. Wouldn't, I wouldn't reverse course because it's fun. No, it has I, to have a logistic would, reason. Yeah, I, I, I would look at I, and I'm confident that Jeff Spring and the Pro Tour look at this holistically and say, in let's let's look forward three or four years and where do we need to be? Um they're starting to develop the wraparound season. So they, they want to continue to develop that. And then what does that mean for the Southeast? What does that mean for the Northeast? What does that mean for Europe? Uh, what does that mean for uh, South America, Mexico? What, what does that mean for uh, Japan? Like there's, there's, there's lots of implications here. Uh, and I, I suspect that Jeff is looking at this whole thing and crew are looking at this whole thing with their eye on the entire basket. And I'm happy to shift wherever needs be um, to make the tour work as good as it can work. And I, I feel like that's the way every, every TD on the, uh, on the tour feels is the tour succeeds and we succeed. Well, I'm, I'm not uh, all that smart, but I'm guessing you're going to be two weeks after worlds wraps up next year can't imagine you'd be the week after no they would have but, a week, they would have a week break but who knows you must know when you are next year <laughs> right steve maybe what <laughs> yeah that's what i thought hello uh I, i'm gonna end with this i have a secret but mildly clever idea that i'm gonna text you tonight uh that you you have to give me first access to and then you'll Take it and run with it does, on your own. But I've got I've got a great involve, sponsorship idea. Does it involve waking me up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll share that quickly. Uh, I had asked Steve yesterday about being on the show. He <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually, I got a yes uh, after some. <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, cryptic messaging. Uh, eventually, I get a yes. And then tonight, uh, I send him the link, as we do for all of our guests, a, a little link to connect to. And then after about five minutes went by, I realized that it was 9.45 East Coast time. And I also just took a wild stab that Steve either forgot and or just flat out went to bed. And so thankfully, I called him and <laughs> in his most sleepy voice... Hey, hey, hey. 
woke up. So uh, that that's your official pass. Some people were saying, hey, all this blazer talk, where's the suit coat or the blazer? And I said, to be fair, he just got up four minutes ago before joining us on the show. So he's lucky, lucky to have a shirt. And I would I would encourage people now that they know that. Go back and look at the beginning of this, and I'm just like, uh, like I don't have any idea what I'm talking about at the beginning. Of this. I still don't, but um, but at the beginning it was maybe a little worse. I'm just going to derail this completely. My only question is, is that an original Commodore 64 back there? Yes. Okay. I know they did a repop version of it a couple of years ago, but so let's let's close this out on a strong note, Jerry. Um, and <laughs> as opposed yes. to the shitty way, I was going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> So Jesse, uh, Jesse's the one that woke me up. Like uh, she's like, your phone's ringing. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't. It felt like it was ringing for hours. Uh-huh. Um, but so yeah, the one of the fun things that happened because the tour came here when it did is we um, we kind of made my office into something real, and so we have here. Um, this is my original version of photo, uh, of photo, uh, what is it? The Premiere. Adobe. Yeah. Premiere. Adobe. Yeah. The Premiere, the whole production suite. That's what mm-hmm. it says right there. Um, and that's what I used to mix the 2004 MSDGC DVD and, and all the other ones. Nice. Um, here's the old biddies. These are the prototypes of our games that are coming out Kickstarter this fall. There's my original house in 2003. And then this is the 2003 PDGA course guide that has all sorts of notes about the 150 courses we played um, before we built Maple Hill. Uh, I went around the country and, and played some of the best courses. And then here's my collection of trading cards. I don't know if you can see those. Yeah. Some of those are pretty valuable now, yeah, Steve. Some of those are worth a so, lot of money. So you got, you got Ricky and Katrina and Paul, and you got all the, the champion, the course events, the, the event things. And then look at this funny one. Wow. You see that one? Is, is yeah. that a unique oh, one? Is. A Steve Dodge I card? I is that no a one of I'm one? This right. Yeah, you you <laughs> almost got it. <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah, and then the yeah, the Commodore 64 and then the, the year pints. 1 silly pint. Yeah. So, all the good stuff in that cabinet right there. Oh, yeah. and you guys might recognize this, the very first Disc Golf Pro Tour computer. Oh, yeah. Sure, I do remember that. Yeah, that thing really yeah. hauled, as they would say. Hauled. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Chromebook. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we had $8. footage of a free program on using a Chromebook. Chromebook, well, yeah. I think it was called We We Video. Yeah. We made a yeah. lot of the first videos for that. first. N- nailed it. Well, That's where I- the salmon commercial came from. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to say thank you to the 12 people that signed up to get salmon delivered to their door. Uh, Hopefully they enjoyed it. They kept, that's what kept yep. the tour rolling. All right, buddy. Well, we will let you go. We appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate Jesse for waking you up so that you could fulfill your obligation of joining us tonight. And uh, <laughs> of course the entire world appreciates uh, if, if they don't appreciate what you've done and will continue to do, then uh, then they're idiots. And, we'll keep uh, reminding them. Uh, yeah, we, we will keep reminding them uh, because we uh, largely wouldn't be where we are if it, if it weren't for you and your vision, and we appreciate the heck out of it. 
I am always willing to try things, and uh, and the Pro Tour is one of those things. And we got uh, we got we had, we had a lot of love and heart and push and people working together and trusting in the dream and and willing to literally work for nothing. Um, and uh, and we successfully built it to a point where enough people cared about it that that somebody thought it was worth saving. So. Um, yeah, we, we, we did a lot of good work. We got lucky sometimes, got unlucky sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm truly blessed to, to be in the position I'm in. Um, I found, uh, found, found Jesse. Um, I, my daughters are growing up great and I live at Maple Hill. I mean, life is, life is pretty good. And I, I thank everybody for helping me get here. Well, the like I said, the entire disc golf world, ourselves included, owe you um, just uh, an unfathomable amount of uh, gratitude, and we appreciate you for your vision, your love, and your heart, and soul, and compassion, everything that you have given to disc golf to put us where we all are. So we love you, buddy. You're welcome here anytime, even when you're not running a disc golf pro tour major playoff event or whatever you're welcome here anytime to join us even if you got to pitch some of your your new board games or whatever you're doing uh but anytime you're always welcome thank you hopefully we'll uh talk to you again sooner than later buddy good night friends good night good night buddy special thanks to steve dodge for joining the show tonight we know it's late over on the east coast and i'm sure he's tired after An exhausting week. I know he's got a big staff, but he still puts a lot of it on his shoulders, and it's uh, it's it's good to be Steve. Yeah, most of the time. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, can't say it enough. All right, um, I want to touch on one other. I don't know, disc golf related item quickly that I saw today. If it hasn't been said enough already, uh, of course, congratulations, Ricky Wysocki, your su- uh, season tour champion. Uh, along with Kristen Tatar winning it on the FPO side. Congrats to both of them. And then, of course, congrats to Natalie Ryan for winning, and congrats to Simon Lazat. So if that wasn't obvious enough uh, throughout the day, we um, thank you guys. <laughs> Aaron says, I still have beef with Steve, and that couldn't be any more incorrect. Oh, I, that you I, have I, beef with him? Yeah, n- never. I mean, you have. would you have steak with him? Maybe no, not, maybe not I'd have, beef. I'd, I'd have chicken, or he'd mix me up some uh, peanut butter sandwiches like we were once eating on the tour. And uh, yeah, yeah. So um, the, no, the other quick thing that I wanted to talk about that I saw on the internets just today. So it's probably uh, fake. old news. Yeah, it's probably fake. Um, no, we saw that uh, in. It was pretty cool that they put up an official marker and T pad and. I think uh, not time. I don't know if time capsule is quite the right no, word. No, they they did actually do a like a, a capsule underneath uh, of the yeah. tee pad. So uh, all of that uh, for James Conrad and the holy shot um, out there at the at the course out there at the fort. So I saw it earlier today, and I wanted to make mention of it. I thought that was pretty cool um, that they are you know permanently commemorating that uh, incredible the holy spot shot. So you shot can try to recreate it. Yeah. You can go to the tee pad and throw it yourself, and 
And, and too bad you didn't have you, you even even that's uh, more favorable for you. Not only don't you have thousands of people watching, you, you have a T-pad. <laughs> you have an actual T-pad. The question is, and I did see it, uh, but I didn't inspect it for too long. It doesn't look like a James Conrad approved T-pad. It needed to be about three times. Hopefully, longer. it's as long as the as amount of steps he took. Okay, because he didn't have a huge run up for that. That's true. That's true. Now a normal T-pad for him would <laughs> exactly so. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool to see them out there. That was just posted, I think, earlier today. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else actual golf related that needs to get covered before we close out, head to an after show? I know that was pretty long, <laughs> our longest probably interview of the year, which seems very fitting and appropriate. Appro- very appropriate. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to bother <laughs> last week for Ricky's interview. I, I, I cut out just the interview and I uploaded it to our website or uploaded it to YouTube. I don't know if bother doing it with Steve Dodge because it's been the whole show. Yeah. So we'll see. So, all right. Well, then, unless you have something uh, crucial that you feel like needs to get mentioned here in the regular show. I don't, Terry. I'll close out our regular show, and then we could start talking a little after show action if you'd really like. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, we're going to thank Steve Dodge, our guest tonight. Uh, and thank you to, of course, everyone over on the disc golf pro tour and the maple hill side of things to pull off the event that they did clearly some very difficult decisions but also just a ton of work to have everything go down the way that it did on that opening day then to be able to still provide us all that coverage and action during the next three days along with extra work in terms of pulling off the million dollar shot presented by east coast metal roofing uh but it just yeah everybody on the ground doing so much extra work and and you don't think about it because they're just providing you the coverage but uh it's just showing up on your screen is what i should say but the guys that are putting in those extra long days to battle the winds and the rain as cameramen and as as set up and take down and the spotters just everyone and and I can't imagine sit standing out in the rain for eight hours or whatever, also trying to like park people. It's just s- such an effort that it takes. So for Steve Dodge, along with Johnny V, I'm Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy. That's been Podcast 422. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to come back with our after show. We have some giveaways and some other stuff to talk about. We'll see you then. You step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 